Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hi, wrestling fans. It's Tony Schiavone. You're listening to Solomonster Sounds Off. And we're desperately out of time. It's business time, baby. The Solomonster Sounds Off. My client. Mama Monster. Conquered the street. You like fighting a woman? Your title belt is made of leather. You're not a real vegan. Come over here and fight me. Delete. You haven't been beat up properly. The never open weight title defense is set for Wrestle Kingdom 13 on January 4th. New Japan Pro Wrestling had its World Tag League Finals earlier this morning. And on that show, Kota Ibushi won the never open weight championship from Hiroki Goto. And Will Ospreay won a number one contenders match on that show as well, beating Tai Chi. And he came out after Kota's championship win, challenged him to a match at Wrestle Kingdom, a dream match, he called it. And the two men shook hands, and so it is official on January 4th that will be Will Ospreay challenging Kota Ibushi for the championship. That's going to be a hell of a match. That is going to be a hell of a match. I keep forgetting that Wrestle Kingdom is less than a month away. I am very much looking forward to that. Always a good way to start the year is with Wrestle Kingdom. Of course, I'll be uh, watching that and reviewing that as I did last year. So anyway, that's coming up soon. By the way, this is episode 576 of the Solomonster Sounds Off here for Sunday, December 9th, 2018. I am the Solomonster, and you heard a little uh, teaser there at the beginning, a little a little clip there from a familiar voice. You may know the guy. Tony Schiavone. Former uh, WCW announcer, going all the way back, really, to the, the Jim Crockett era. First Starcade through uh, one year in WWE, which he uh, has an interesting comment about in the uh, interview that I did with him. He's also the current play-by-play announcer for Major League Wrestling, MLW Fusion. It's becoming uh, more and more popular, I know, amongst a lot of the uh, people who listen to this show on uh, BN Sports every week. Anyway, they have a big live special, their first live MLW TV special coming up this Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern in Miami. So I was able to get Tony Schiavone to uh, to give me 30 minutes and uh, got to do an interview with him, the greatest interview in the history of our sport. So I had the chance to talk to him about a whole bunch of different things yesterday, which was a thrill for me because I know Tony going back to when I was a young wrestling fan and uh, you know, I said this on Twitter, I've now had the chance to interview Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, and Mean Gene Okerlund was actually an in-person sit-down interview. Uh, and so the the uh, fact that I was able to interview all three of those guys is a pretty cool thing for me. But Tony could not, be, uh, could not have been nicer and had a lot of interesting things to say. And in fact, I want to just play a quick uh, teaser clip for you from the interview. Uh, the full interview, by the way, all 30-plus minutes, is up on the YouTube channel. I would encourage everybody to go check it out. Uh, it is a Sound Off Extra exclusive to YouTube. But I want to play this one clip for you. This is about, we were talking about WWE commentary. 
I had a whole bunch of questions for him about commentary. Shocking, I know, that I would want to ask commentary questions to a commentator. But I also brought up the subject of commentary today uh, and sort of the way it's done in WWE, and I wanted to get his thoughts on it. And he had some interesting comments, so I want to play that clip for you real quick here. This is Tony Schiavone on WWE commentary. I think what has changed so much in wrestling today uh, with announcers is that uh, I think they're really, really overproduced now. I mean, it's pretty common knowledge that Vince is in their ear and tells them things to say and how to say it. And I, I, I think it's, I think it's a mistake because I think that if you just say, okay, I'm going to be in your ear and I'm going to tell you to say what I want you to say, then anybody can do it. And I'm not so sure that, that Tom and Michael Cole, uh, at times brings, uh, to the table, what they can bring to the table. I could not agree with him more. He had a lot more insight into that, how things uh, were done uh, announcing wise back in the old days as compared to today. Uh, talked about, you know, baseball because he does baseball play by play. So anyway, it's a really uh, insightful interview. And if you are a fan of his work uh, from at any point during his career, even now, you know, the work he's doing with MLW, you know, it's funny when you watch that show, you hear his voice. There's just this sense of familiarity that it brings. I thought it was a very smart thing, actually, for Court Bauer uh, and his team over there to bring Tony on because it's so important to have credibility uh, as an announcer. And it's kind of funny now to say that because, of course, Shivani, for, for a time there during the Monday Nitro era, uh, you know, he was very over the top and <laughs> people would joke, every night is the greatest night in the history of our sport. And it got a little ridiculous there towards the end. Uh, but when you think of certain people, you think of a Jim Ross or a Gordon Soley, you know, Shivani has uh, still, I think even today, a certain uh, credibility about him that's important for your, your play-by-play guy to have. I'm not sure Michael Cole has that. And I don't know if it just is because of the heel turn, when he was acting all goofy all those years ago, or just the fact that it's hard to kind of believe anything that comes out of his mouth or any of the WWE announcers. There's a certain credibility that's missing. And MLW was very smart, I think, to bring back a name like Tony, kind of like, you know, Access Television was when they brought on Jim Ross to first do commentary for the New Japan shows and, you know, paired him off with Josh Barnett. Now JR is winding down on that. And I know there's been a lot of complaints about mistakes that he would make on commentary or it just didn't feel like the enthusiasm was there with him. And uh, I think you'll find a lot of divided opinion on JR's stint as a New Japan announcer. But from what I've seen and heard of Tony on the MLW show, it's 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 sort of like putting a glove on and, you know, there's this old studio show vibe to it. It's pretty cool. If you have not given Fusion, by the way, a chance, if you have it on television in your area, uh, be in sports. Even if you don't, they put all of the full episodes up on their YouTube channel. And so I would encourage you to, uh, to check them out. I'm going to try to check out the live show this Friday night if I do. Uh, I will have a review on the podcast next weekend, so uh, fingers crossed, hopefully I'll have uh, time before I record to do that. Uh, Thank you for all of your uh, support, though, so far on the video, all the nice comments. Please leave a comment, please share, uh, give it a thumbs up if you have not already done so, uh, and uh, go ahead and uh, send it to a friend, especially if they're an old school fan, I think they might enjoy it. Uh, Keep supporting the podcast via Audible. Our link is still there for you to uh, sign up for the trial, and you get one free audio book as we wind down 2018. I want to end on a strong note. Audible trial. 
dot com slash Solomonster. They've been a good partner to the podcast all year. And uh, you can sample the service for 30 days. If you don't like it, you can cancel, but you get to keep your book. A lot of good audio books up there. You can listen to it on the go. You can listen to it in bed. You can listen to it while you eat dinner. <laughs> if, you're, if you're going to work, going to school, audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. And for the people that have tweeted me asking me about the Lyft stuff, if my Lyft code is still active, it is. So you can continue to use it. Now, I think it's it may only be good if you're first signing up for a Lyft account. I'm not sure. Uh, but if you want to give it a shot, promo code is very simple, Solomonster. And uh, if you're a Lyft guy over Uber, this won't work for Uber, but for Lyft, it will get you a few bucks off your first ride if you are a new user. So again, the promo code for Lyft is Solomonster. Thank you to everybody who has uh, made a PayPal donation and contributed in some way to the podcast this week. $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout out here on the show. I want to say thank you to the Portland pop star, Paul Hamilton, John Loose Cannon Lopez, Deadpool James Herrera, the Florida Freebird Brian Becerra, Out of Control Cody Thomas, Beast Mode Brock Joseph, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, the Chicago Slayer Willie Eichard, Stephen Handyman Hallistick, the Malaysian Mastermind Samuel T, Brian the Cleaver Carpenter, Luck is for Losers, Lance Flint, Dark Sky Dixon Krasinski, Francis, Fists of Fire Aquilino, Interfere and I'll Kill You, Inga Wabu, oh this is a good one, The Farm Animal, now think about this when I say this, okay, say say it quickly. The Farm Animal, Nay J. Styles. Mm-hmm. I didn't come up with that. Don't blame me. That's, that's not something that came from my brain. We have Grimlock, Garrick Booker, who just got engaged to his lovely bride-to-be, Cindy, last Sunday, so congrats to the happy couple. Ryan the Dagger McTaggart, whose son, Money Maxwell McTaggart, now has a new baby brother, We'll call him uh, Grand Slam Grayson McTaggart, who was born five weeks early, but is doing well. Hopefully by now, uh, he was still in the hospital last I heard from Ryan, so hopefully he's home and doing okay now. Congrats on the newest addition to the McTaggart clan. And happy birthday, if you're listening, to the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine, Harrison Soap who turned 15 yesterday. Now, if that does not scream wrestling nickname, I don't know what does. The Diamond Dallas Dance Machine. And I, I call him that because I'm told that he and his brothers, Luke and Hunter, uh, are big fans of the podcast, so shout out to all of them. You may have seen Harrison. You probably have and don't realize it. You may have seen Harrison a few months ago. He went viral on Instagram after he was caught on camera dancing during the Boston Celtics home opener. Uh, he even busted out the uh, the Enzo Amore dance move. Uh, unlike Enzo at Survivor Series, he didn't get tackled by security and thrown out of the building. Uh, but I hope you uh, had a great birthday, Harrison. You can uh, celebrate the fact that your video on the uh, World Star Instagram account which I think is where it caught fire. That video now has more view viewers, or views, I guess, uh, than Raw had viewers on the USA Network for the last two weeks combined. So congratulations, you are more popular than Baron Corbin. Although I think bedbugs are probably more popular than Baron Corbin right now, so that might not be saying much. 
Thank you to The David Show, QDog126. Uh, my dad was also a trucker, so shout out to all the truckers out there. NWO Giant 33 Christian Cacavo, uh, shout out to Patrick and James from Texas for the nice words they left for the show in iTunes this week, the nice uh, reviews. By the way, James, uh, you asked me about the WWE power rankings. Always better to email me with questions, but uh, I saw they had Becky Lynch last week in the number one spot, and so that's okay with me. So that's my answer on that. Uh, Neil, I want to just slip uh, this mention in real quick. Neil, you know who you are. I got your letter in the mail. Thank you. Uh, Stay strong, my friend, and just know that you are not alone during the holidays. Evolve has two big shows coming up next weekend. That's Evolve 117, which takes place at uh, La Boom in Woodside, Queens, on Saturday, December 15th, with Roderick Strong from the Undisputed Era in NXT coming in to challenge Austin Theory and the Evolve champion Fabian Eichner in a triple threat main event. And then the next night, Sunday the 16th, in Deer Park at the NYWC Sportatorium, Roddy will square off against Darby Allen. That'll be at Evolve 118. You can get your tickets for both those shows right now at TicketFly.com. Just use the code EVOLVENOW, all one word. That's uh, the code EVOLVENOW. At checkout, you can get 10% off your order. Yeah, next weekend is going to be a busy one. Uh, you got, so you got the two Evolve shows that I just mentioned. Ring of Honor has its final battle show on Friday night at the Manhattan Center with uh, Cody challenging Jay Lethal for the ROH title in what is uh, very likely Cody's last match with the promotion. MLW, the aforementioned MLW, has a double shot in Miami on Thursday and Friday. The Friday show is airing as a one-hour live special on BN Sports. Uh, House of Glory is hosting its eight-year anniversary show next Saturday, December 15th, from their NYC arena in Jamaica, Queens. Uh, Shane Strickland makes his return on that show. He has uh, been rumored to be WWE bound soon. I guess I guess just as soon as his Lucha Underground contract allows for it, I guess there's a bit of a snag there in that he can't really make any moves until his uh, contract with Lucha expires. I don't know when that might be, but it does sound like he may be on his way to uh, greener pastures. I'll be at the House of Glory show, by the way. It should be a fun time, so hopefully if uh, any of you are there, maybe we'll bump into each other. You could say hello. And, of course, next Sunday is the TLC pay-per-view. And, as always, there will be a Sound Off Extra review that goes up on YouTube a few hours after it ends. So, a very busy wrestling weekend coming up uh, next weekend. Now, two quick notes. We've got a lot to get into here. I mean, we're already freaking, what, 11 or 12 minutes into this. A lot to get to. Two quick notes. Shout out to Raphael. He is the uh, sports writer for the Manila Bulletin in the Philippines that I referenced last week on the show when I was talking about Xavier Woods and his comments at that press conference overseas about how the fans are entitled infants. I talked about that last week. Turns out that uh, Raphael is a fan of the podcast, and he is part of our Facebook group. And he also happens to write for the newspaper over there. I had no idea (laughs) when I talked about the story last week, or else I would have given him a shout-out then. Uh, But yeah, talk about a small world. Uh, I also made reference last week during my SmackDown review to the 20th anniversary celebration segment they had done for Jeff Hardy and the very nice video package they put together for him and how I made the comment how it reminded me of that great video package that WWE did for Jeff Hardy uh, probably 10 or 11 years ago, maybe 9 or 10 years ago at this point. 
that was set to a song called Rooftops by a band called Lost Prophets. It has since been pointed out to me, and I had no idea about this, or else I would have I would have mentioned it, but I had no idea that the lead singer of the group Lost Prophets was arrested a number of years ago and sentenced to almost 30 years in prison for, among other things, attempted rape of a one-year-old girl. And that is far from the only disturbing thing that he was charged with. So I suspect that we will not be seeing or hearing uh, that Lost Prophets uh, video on WWE television ever again. Or if they air it, they'll uh, dub over it with some other piece of music. That's pretty, uh, yeah, that's pretty disturbing stuff. We are down to number eight in our top ten countdown of the greatest championship matches in Royal Rumble history that I've been doing at the end of each podcast. Again, I started this two weeks ago. It's a 10-week countdown, counting down to the 2019 Royal Rumble. Now, number 10 was the last man standing match from 2016 between Dean Ambrose and Kevin Owens. Last week, the number 9 match, and a lot of you thought this should be ranked higher, which is interesting you would say that because when I put my initial list together, it wasn't even in my top 10. Uh, But then I felt like I I could not leave it out of the top 10, so it wormed its way in there. But my number nine match was the infamous I Quit match from 99 between The Rock and Mankind. And so the question is, what will the eight spot bring us later in the show here this week? I'll give you one little subtle clue. One tiny little clue. The number eight is relevant to this particular match. That's all I'm going to say about that. First things first, uh, best wishes to Big Cass. He suffered a seizure. Very scary moment last night at uh, Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore show. Uh, Somebody filmed it and actually put the video of him on the ground, like twitching and seizing, and they put the video online, which which sucks that they did that. Uh, But I guess everything ends up online nowadays. But yeah, he, he suffered a seizure. He fell to the ground, according to eyewitnesses who were there. He fell flat on his face, and he just started... Uh, convulsing. There was a, uh, you know, people were, were around at the time, so they were able to bring water and they brought towels and eventually somebody found a doctor. I think it took a few minutes. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, Tommy Dreamer addressed the crowd afterwards to let them know what happened and why Cass wouldn't be there the rest of the night. He also told the crowd, for, for all the haters, you gotta love it when somebody starts with that, for all the haters, uh, it's not drug-related. He says, I've been with him all day. And I just thought to myself when I when I saw him say that, I said, well, you know, Dreamer, 
Dreamer was in ECW, and so it would not shock me if he had seen his uh, share of drug-induced seizures. Uh, I don't know if he has or not. I'm just saying that if he if he was to have witnessed that, I don't know that any of us would be surprised given that roster. So uh, anyway, the video is very scary. The uh, the the accounts from people there was very scary. Uh, apparently, he was lucid and everything afterwards, but they took him out on a stretcher. Hopefully, he's okay. I know he's fallen on some tough times since uh, being fired by WWE. I mean, think about it. This guy, he lost his job, right? He lost his girlfriend, broke up with Carmella. He's showing up at these indie shows. People are are all over him. So it's been a a rough 2018 for Big Cass, who who seemed like he was breaking out and he was getting a big singles push. And Vince McMahon thought, wow, this, this guy's really big. I can do something with him. And then just nothing. Just goes to show you how quickly things can change, but hopefully he gets his act together, and hopefully it's not some sort of major medical issue, and he can overcome it, and uh, and he'll be okay. We had two big wrestling deaths this week, to go from one uh, morbid thing to the other here. Larry the Axe Hennig passed away on Thursday at the age of 82, father of the late Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig, grandfather to current WWE star Curtis Axel. Of course, Curtis Axel, the name Curtis Axel is a, a melding of his father's first name. And, uh, you know, Axel comes from the Axe, which was his grandfather's uh, nickname for so long. Uh, although, I have, you know, Larry the Axe shouldn't just be known, oh, the, the, the father of Mr. Perfect or the grandfather of, of Curtis Axel. He had quite the career for himself long before his, his uh, son and his grandson came along. Uh, before he was the Axe... He was Pretty Boy, Larry Hennig, tag team with Handsome Harley Race. Uh, Together they won the AWA World Tag Team titles, and he wrestled all the big names back then. He wrestled, you know, Vern Gagne. He even wrestled Bruno Sammartino for what was then the WWF title. Uh, He wrestled Jack Briscoe for the NWA World Heavyweight title. He teamed up with Kurt, teamed up with his son in the AWA as well, mid-80s, against Vern and uh, his son Greg Gagne. So he retired shortly thereafter. This was like mid to late 80s. He went into real estate. And uh, he was before my time. I did not grow up watching Larry Hennig matches as a young fan in the uh, in the mid-80s in New York. But I did know the Larry the Axe name because my father would bring him up. Uh, he would mention the name sometimes, oh, Larry the Axe. And even when Mr. Perfect was in WWF, you know, my, my father would mention that, oh, you know, Larry the Axe was his father. And I always wondered, how does he know this? Because, you know, I don't know, maybe the, I guess AWA would have been on, what, ESPN at the time? But we didn't have cable. So, I think back, and I, I mean, I can't ask him, unfortunately, but like, I, I'm not even sure how my father would have known that, you know? My father was not trading tapes, he wasn't, he was a wrestling fan, he got me into it, but he wasn't that big of a wrestling fan. So, unless he went to some of those Madison Square Garden shows, and, and maybe he saw Larry the axe against Bruno San Martino. Uh, now that I think back, I'm not even really sure how my father of all people would have even known who he was. Uh, but anyway, when, uh, you know, when Kurt died, you know, a lot of people said it was very tough for him as you would imagine it would be. Uh, hopefully I never have to go through anything like that. Hopefully, you, you know, people listening don't have to go through losing a child. It's the worst possible thing you could imagine. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that took a lot out of him uh, when, when Kurt passed away. But uh, he was married 60 years to his wife. 
Larry the Axe was married 60 years to his wife. People in my family don't even live 60 years, let alone stay married to one person for that long. That is unbelievable. 28 grandchildren this guy had. You know, we talk about wrestlers leaving a legacy behind. Five kids, 28 grandkids. I think that's a hell of a legacy for him to leave behind. Uh, the other big wrestling death, and I'm going to spend uh, a bit of time on this here. Because there's a lot to uh, unpack with this guy. But the other big wrestling death was Tom Billington. Better known to wrestling fans as the Dynamite Kid. One half of the British Bulldogs. Who died on his 60th birthday this week. Uh, No cause of death has been revealed. Although he was in very poor health. uh, For a very long time. He uh, revolutionized the wrestling business. You know, words like that get thrown around a lot. Revolutionary. Innovative. He was that. You know, he was a small man who did a lot of big things that people took notice of that they had never seen before. Uh, And, you know, he brought this stiff style over with him from, you know, the UK and Japan. And this was at a time when wrestling was still very much a big man's game. Especially when he came to, you know, WWF and he was part of a tag team. He didn't have a singles run there or anything, but it was the land of the giants by and large. You know, size is still important in wrestling today. Size is still important in WWE, but uh, it's not as important as it used to be. You know, you have a lot more people uh, who are considered to be stars and headliners who were not six foot eight, three hundred pounds. Uh, but and he certainly was not six foot eight, three hundred pounds. Far from it. Uh, but I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that he was one of the singular most influential performers in the history of the wrestling business. Uh, at least in this country. Just so many different wrestlers that he influenced who came out this week to you know pay their respects and had very nice things to say about him and said, oh, he was an influence on me or he got me into the wrestling business. You know, Chris Benoit, I keep thinking of Chris Benoit because it is scary how physically similar the two of them were right down to the way they wrestled. You, you could tell how he influenced Benoit as a worker, you know, even right down to the moveset, the snap suplex, the diving headbutt, that just intensity and aggressiveness, you know, in the ring, obviously outside the ring too, unfortunately, but in the ring that Benoit had, that's right out of the Dynamite Kid playbook. And he was ahead of his time, you know, the matches that he had in the late 70s and Stampede in the early 80s with uh, Bret Hart and Tiger Mask, maybe his most famous opponent, Uh, The tag team matches with the British Bulldogs against the Hart Foundation in the WWF. It was classic stuff. And, you know, I was thinking about this because people have been talking about all those classics with the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs. We've now lost one half of the Hart Foundation in the last few months and the other half of the British Bulldogs. And so once again, Davey Boy, of course, passed away many years ago. And so once again, Bret Hart is the last man standing here. Brett is the last one left from that Hart Foundation faction. And he is the last last one left from those old Hearts and Bulldogs matches. It just reminds me of, uh, I think in, in his book he talks about it, but Brett has often talked about how crushing it, it has been for him to lose so many friends of his in the wrestling business. He was good friends with Brian Adams, who passed away. He was good friends with you know Randy Savage, who passed away. Kurt Hennig, who passed away. Rick Rude. Uh, Obviously, his brother Owen, Davey Boy, Anvil, and probably many more people as well. Roddy Piper. 
I mean, think about this. Think about if you go through life, you have all these friends, all these colleagues and coworkers. The only thing I could compare it to is a soldier on the battlefield who who loses men, who loses a lot of his comrades. I mean, think about all the, the, the friends that Bret Hart has lost over the years. And it's easy to sometimes say, oh, you know, bitter Bret and... You know, Brett, Brett sounds you know like a bitter old ex-wrestler and stuff. And in, in some ways, he may be. But think about what this guy has gone through just in terms of all the people close to him that he's lost over the year. And other members of his family, too, you know, who, who have died young. So it's, it's pretty crazy to think about. Uh, in a lot of ways, with these little groups here, he's, you know, he's the last man standing. But uh, I think the first time I ever saw... Uh, the suplex over the top rope spot in a match where one guy suplexes the other out over the top. They both go tumbling to the floor, which is a very dangerous spot to do. Uh, or at least the earliest version of it I can remember seeing was in a Bret Hart Dynamite Kid match from Stampede Wrestling that was on one of Bret's uh, DVDs. And I think now they have Stampede on the network as well. But they had uh, ladder matches to get at least one that I can remember. Ladder match together in Stampede which was the first ladder, the earliest ladder match I ever saw. Uh, they even had a boxing match. You look up their boxing match in Stampede between Bret Hart and the Dynamite Kid. Those two had some wars long before they ever joined the tag team ranks working for, for Vince McMahon. Now, as a kid, I was familiar with the British Bulldogs. They were on the roster at that time when I was watching, you know, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and Ted DiBiase and all those uh, different wrestlers. I liked them. But I can't say they were my favorites, you know, or anything like that. I didn't have any sort of big emotional attachment to uh, to the Dynamite Kid the way that other people, I guess, have. I was always more of a Heart Foundation guy and a Demolition guy when it came to the tag teams in the company. But one of the more memorable angles that I do remember from my childhood and my earliest wrestling fandom was Bobby Heenan and the Islanders stealing their dog, Matilda. And... I just remember the angle they shot. It was on Superstars. Uh, This was probably 87 or early 88. And I remember there's a match going on. They leave the ring. The Islanders grab Matilda, who is sitting like on a platform outside the ring. And they and Bobby Heenan haul ass out of the building and the camera follows them. So you see all three of them, like like a, a great bank heist has just taken place. And they've got a million dollars in a bag that they're sort of, you know, carrying out of the arena. And they're hauling ass down this long hallway. And then the Bulldogs eventually come chasing after them. And I remember Davy Boy slipped. <laughs> so they, they open the door to the hallway. Davy Boy slips on the floor, falls on his ass. And then Dynamite, because Davy slipped, now Dynamite slips. And he falls. And then they get up and, of course, they uh, they go after the Islanders out of the building. So that's actually one of the earlier angles I remember from watching Superstars and Wrestling Challenge uh, back in the day. But, you know, Dynamite, he he juiced himself to the gills and between by his own admission. He, he just juiced himself up with steroids to no end. And between that and the physical style that he wrestled, it ended up leading to severe physical problems for him. He ended up crippled and in a wheelchair. Uh, he felt that without steroids, he would be out of a job. Because, again, he was a smaller guy. He was only about 5'8", uh, which is hard to believe. I'm, I'm actually a little bit taller than he was. But he was around 5'8 when, when Bruce Hart brought him to Calgary. He was only 19 years old uh, when Bruce brought him in there. And Bruce said, look, you got to see this guy. This guy is incredible. He's unbelievable. 
And he was doing flips and moves that nobody else had ever seen before, at least not in Stampede. And there was a book done on the history of Stampede Wrestling called Pain and Passion. And in the book, uh, it claims that, and I don't know if Dynamite, men- he may have mentioned this himself in his own book, but I know in that uh, Pain and Passion book, it mentions that the person who first introduced Dynamite to steroids was, of all people, the Junkyard Dog. And this is years before he became the Junkyard Dog in WWE. So anyway, that was his first introduction to, uh, I guess, to the needle. But, you know, Dynamite and Davy Boy were not uh, only tag team partners. They were first cousins. He was estranged from Davy. I don't think they ever made up. I know that uh, Dynamite had, uh, befriended is the right word, but, you know, Davy's kid, Dynamite Kid Jr., uh, he visited Dynamite many times before he passed away in recent years. He visited him, and so I guess Dynamite was cool with Davy's son, uh, but certainly not with uh, Davy himself. I know he took every opportunity Dynamite did in his own book to just shit all over <laughs> Davy Boy Smith. As best as I can tell, and I think this is the reason Dynamite gives in his book, I, I believe, as best as I can tell, the reason for the, the bad blood between them is that he and Davey, this was during the time after they had already been out of uh, WWF, so when they left the company you know, the first time, uh, they were scheduled to enter the All Japan World Tag League Tournament. This was either 1990 or 1991. It had to be 90, because Davey wrestled the Warlord at WrestleMania 7. So, so 90, he came back to WWE, Davey Boy did for a singles run. So not only in doing so did he pull out of the World Tag League commitment, which left Dynamite high and dry, he had to go find a new tag team partner. But during his original run in WWE, Davey had trademarked, I guess unbeknownst to Dynamite, uh, he had trademarked the British Bulldog's name which meant that Dynamite was not allowed to use it. He could not go out on his own or with a new partner and call themselves the British Bulldogs. And so Davey came back to WWE for a singles run, called himself the British Bulldog, and Dynamite was shit out of luck. And I believe that was the primary source of heat between them, which if that's the case, that was a pretty shit thing for for Davey Boy to do. Um... But as great as Dynamite was in the ring, and here I'm talking about this guy as an innovator and all what a great wrestler he was, you cannot talk about what a great wrestler he was without mentioning his darker side. Uh, I saw that his daughter posted a very nice tribute to her dad on Instagram and how through Facebook a number of years ago she was able to reconnect with him and she said, for the people who say he was an asshole, not to me, never to me, she says. And that's good. That's great. I'm I'm happy to hear that. That may well be true. That's not the same. The same cannot be said for others. And the other stuff I think should not be ignored. It should not just be swept under the rug because he's dead now, and he was a great wrestler. And so let's just say all great things about this guy. I'm sure you've heard at least some of the stories, some of the horror stories, when it comes to the Dynamite Kid, uh, how he treated his wife, for example. He would wake her up with a shotgun underneath her chin telling her one day this will be loaded, which he's admitted to doing. It's not, he, he did not deny that he did that, at least on one, if not multiple occasions. He, I guess his argument was, well, there were no shells. I only pretended that there were shells in the shotgun. Wow, what a, what a practical joker he was, huh? So that's one thing. One of the sickest stories 
And I was always skeptical about this because it just always sounded too uh, over the top. It just sounded too demented to actually believe that this happened. But Dynamite admitted it. He admitted that it was true. Very matter-of-factly, in fact. If you go on YouTube, there's a trailer for... Somebody had started a Kickstarter for him. And it might have been like a mini-shoot interview type thing. And in the trailer for this thing from uh, a number of years ago, when he's asked about the story, whether or not it's true, he doesn't deny it. And he says, yep, it was true. And the story is that Dynamite had a friend whose daughter was in a car accident. And the doctors said that her x-rays looked fine. There was really nothing wrong with the girl. Well, the girl's father was very worried. Dynamite's friend was very worried that uh, they might not be able to collect any insurance money. And so he asked Dynamite to do him a favor and break his daughter's legs. And Dynamite did. He took a hammer and he broke the girl's legs. That is not a story that should be ignored. That is a story that people need to be reminded of. It should not be swept under the rug because it's convenient to do so. The And there's a bunch of other stories. I don't need to get into everything here. But that one, above all else, that one really stands out to me. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, the downfall of Dynamite, really, I think, goes back to the back injury, the famous back injury he suffered in late 86. It wasn't any one particular blow to the back. It was just years of abuse in the ring, years of steroid abuse, everything. His body just began to fail him. And the match in particular where his back went out on him, you can actually find footage of it on YouTube, which is unbelievable, because this match did not air on television. This was fan cam footage of this random show. Somebody was in the crowd filming this. It was in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada in late 86. And somebody just so happened to be filming this match. It was a tag team title defense. The Bulldogs defending against Don Morocco and Cowboy Bob Orton. And if you watch the footage, Dynamite is in the ring with Orton. Orton drops down. Dynamite jumps over him. Right? He jumps over Orton. And he hits the ropes, and you see Don Morocco on the apron. He delivers a knee to the back. Referee didn't see it. He gives Dynamite a knee to the back. Now, it wasn't a hard knee, right? You you watch the footage, it was almost like a love tap. Dynamite, though, was already hurt before Morocco even gave him the knee. Now, in his book, Dynamite says that he was in mid-stride. He was in mid-leap, jumping over Orton's body when he felt his back just go out on him. And he just crumpled into a heap. So he was already hurt in midair. As he was, before he even hit the ropes, he was already hurt. 
and the other wrestlers didn't realize that he was hurt. They were stomping on him. He ended up having to be taken out on a stretcher. Now, for a guy like Dynamite, who was very prideful, I'm sure that was... The fact that he would have to be carried out on a stretcher pretty much tells you how severely he was hurt. So now, fast forward a number of months, the company's headed into WrestleMania 3. Dynamite is still not 100%. And the company needs to get the tag team titles off of the Bulldogs because Dynamite is just in such a, a, a bad state. Somehow, he wrestled at WrestleMania 3. But anyway, they had to get the belts off of them. Vince McMahon calls up Dynamite. He says, look, I want you to work a television taping and drop the titles to the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Another one who uh, who died this year, Nikolai Volkov. And as the story goes, Dynamite refused and said that they would only drop the belts to the Hart Foundation, who they had worked at least dozens, I don't know about hundreds, but dozens of matches with. And were a much, much better choice than uh, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. So in that instance, Dynamite Kid was a better booker than Vince McMahon. So he said, we'll only drop them to the Hart Foundation. And so if you watch the match, which aired uh, on Superstars, Dynamite never steps foot into the ring. He never even gets up on the apron. They do a deal where Jimmy Hart hits him from behind with the megaphone on the outside of the ring. Davey Boy wrestles the entire match solo, all three minutes of it. Dynamite just laid on the floor outside, and referee Danny Davis did the fast count after the heart attack by the uh, Hart Foundation, and Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Neidhart won the tag team titles for the very first time that night. And that was really the the end of anything meaningful that the Bulldogs as a team ever did in WWE. Now, one of the classic stories of backstage incidents in wrestling, involves Dynamite Kid and his beef with Jacques Rougeau. Now, I have read so many different accounts of what happened from people. There is a certain consistency to it, but, you know, different people who were there or who were in the locker room that night have different accounts of what happened and the build-up to it because it was not a one-night incident. This is something that was building for a period of weeks, if not months. But I've read so many, you know, different accounts of it, listened to so many shoot interviews about this, and since I don't know that I would have a reason to talk about this again uh, after this, for those who have never heard the story before, here's what happened. From from piecing together different parts from Jacques, uh, from Dynamite in his book, Bret Hart in his book, uh, Jimmy Hart in his book. Everybody's got a book. I may write a book. I don't know what it's going to be about, but I, I feel left out here. Anyway, this goes all the way back to the fall of 1988. So this was only a couple of months before the Bulldogs gave their notice and left WWE. The Bulldogs did not like the Rougeos. No reason in particular. I think Dynamite really was the one. He just, he didn't like him. He didn't like him. But they worked matches together with no problem. One night at a, uh, a live event, Rougeos come back from their match and Kurt Hennig is there. And Kurt is acting all weird and, and Jacques you know, is looking at him and basically Kurt's saying to him, you should check your gym bag because something may have happened. So he checks and I I think some things might've been missing. Whatever it was, Jacques suspected that the Bulldogs had done something to his stuff because they had a reputation for ribbing people and playing practical jokes and some pretty nasty ones too. uh, and, And messing with people's belongings. And so as it turns out, and Jacques did not know this at the time, 
it was not the Bulldogs who messed with his his gym bag that night. It was Kurt Hennig. And Hennig also had a rep for playing ribs and practical jokes on people, although I don't think it was anything mean-spirited like what the Bulldogs would do. Like total destruction of people's property and, and whatnot. I mean, he would like tie people's bags together uh, or, or put padlocks on them and... Which I'm sure if it happened to you, you wouldn't be too happy about that. But it's not like he would set your bag on fire or anything like that. The Bulldogs might. I don't think Kurt Hennig would do that. But this this is only a few months after Kurt had come back. He was already causing mischief. Now, I say come back. He had a very brief sort of run in the early 80s as a babyface in uh, WWE that sometimes gets forgotten about. If you could even call it a run. Uh, but he had only debuted as Mr. Perfect a few months earlier. He had not even debuted on television yet as Mr. Perfect. He was only doing certain live events. And he was already causing mischief. Fast forward a couple days later, there's another live event. Same thing. Only this time I think Jacques came back and and Kurt had, had padlocked their gym bags together. Now Jacques is pissed. And he says, I'm going to talk to Pat Patterson about this. And of course Pat was Vince McMahon's uh, stooge. He was Vince McMahon's right-hand man. And so the implication was he's going to rat out the Bulldogs and get them in trouble. Now, Kurt Hennig hears this, and what is the first thing he does? He immediately runs to the Dynamite Kid to tell him that Jacques was going to go rat them out and get them in trouble. So Hennig is playing cards. He's backstage with Jacques, and he's playing cards with him. And Dynamite walks into the room. He smacks Jacques Rougeau right in the ear. Just smacks him right in the head. He mounts him, he starts punching him and raining blows down upon him. He may have kicked him in the face too. Ray Rougeau sees this, Jacques' brother. He breaks it up. He gets hurt as well. I think he hurt his knee. He ended up, in fact, I think he ended up on crutches. So for over a week now, a week goes by, Jacques is plotting his revenge. You know, he wasn't known for being like a tough guy or anything like that. Dynamite, that's a different story. But Jacques just felt like he had lost respect for getting beaten up by the smaller guy. Getting, you know, bullied around here by these guys. He felt like, look, I gotta do something. I can't let this go. This cannot go unpunished. So he literally is preparing every... The stories are comical. Like, he's in his hotel room. He's shadow boxing. He's beating up the pillows and the mattresses. Like, he is he is getting ready for for a fight. He's fixing for a fight. It's like some covert operation, right? Planning uh, how and when he would get back at Dynamite. So I'm in the middle I'm at, it's funny. I'm in the middle of watching uh actually I just finished uh Narcos Mexico, great show by the way. I've seen DEA operations with less preparation than Jacques Rougeau plotting his revenge on the Dynamite kid. It's it's comical. So finally it's the big day. It is the big day. They're backstage. It's at one of these marathon superstars TV tapings. Now Vince McMahon has been made aware of there being some tension between the Bulldogs and between the Rougeaus and that bad things might happen and he wants to nip this in the bud as quickly as possible. He calls for a talent meeting and he's going to warn them that fighting is not to be tolerated. If you start a fight, you're going to be fired. Well, the Rougeaus did not attend that meeting. So they're, they're having a meeting in the back. The Rougeaus are out. You know, this is before the show. So the, the arena is empty. And they're just hanging out in the ring. Jimmy Hart comes by and he finds the Rougeaus in the ring. And, you know, he says, hey, Vince wants everybody together for for this meeting. And Jacques says, well, we're not going. And he starts to thank Jimmy for everything he's done for them. Jimmy Hart, of course, was their manager uh, at that time. 
And I've never heard anybody say one bad word, not one cross word about Jimmy Hart. Think of all the, the countless careers that this guy has helped over the years. And even with his music. You know, people sometimes don't think he wasn't just a, an on-screen performer. He was for a time, I guess, I don't know if this was... Uh, well, he was doing it in WCW as well, but I guess he would have been working alongside Jim Johnston for a time. His musical contributions, he helped do the music for the Rougeaus, even. All American boys, right? We don't like heavy metal, we don't like rock and roll, all we like to listen to is Barry Manilow. That's an underrated th- I'm sorry, that is an underrated theme. Uh, he also produced the uh, Shawn Michaels Sexy Boy theme song. That was him. That was Jimmy. NWO Wolfpack. That was Jimmy Hart. He produced it. So anyway, Jimmy finds all of this very strange. Why are they thanking me? Why are they talking this way? But he doesn't. He doesn't suspect anything. So after the meeting, Dynamite is in the cafeteria. He's eating with a bunch of people. Vince sees the Rougeaus walking in the hallway, I guess going towards the cafeteria, and he wants to meet, he says, look, I want to meet with you guys later. He goes, I can't meet with you right now, I gotta go meet with Hogan, but you you and I have to meet later. So Jacques realizes at that point, he goes, oh shit, he goes, if we're gonna do this, we need to do this now, because once we meet with Vince, we can't then go and beat the shit out of this guy, and then plead ignorance, right? So they lie in wait, Outside the cafeteria, they are waiting for Dynamite to come out of the lunchroom. This is like a, this reminds me of some of these like lunchroom brawls I would see in school back in the day. Uh, or any kind of brawl, really. I mean, only one time in my life, I think, that I look up at the clock. It was one of these things where I was waiting for the clock to hit three. It was like a uh, meeting at sundown and everybody was going to go to the, the playground and line up for some big uh, after-school fight. So anyway, he, they're lying in wait, right? Pat Patterson comes out of the cafeteria. So he's thinking, great, now Pat's here. Here comes Dynamite. Dynamite's leaving the cafeteria. He's all alone. This is the moment that Jacques has been waiting for. Jacques says hello to the Dynamite kid. And before Dynamite can even respond back to him, Jacques smashes him right in the mouth. Now there's been a debate about what he hit him with. Dynamite, I think, is of the opinion that he got hit in the face with brass knuckles. The story has been that he hit him in the in the mouth with a roll of quarters. I think it was a roll of quarters, but again, it could have been brass knucks. I personally would not want to be hit in the mouth with either one of those things, although I guess if I had to choose of the two, a roll of quarters maybe wouldn't be as bad. Uh, but whether it was one or the other is dependent upon who you believe. So the... Uh, Consensus, anyway, is that it was a sucker punch. Didn't see it coming. Got hit in the mouth with a foreign object. Knocks out four of his teeth. Right on the spot, right from the first blow. Four teeth, boom, on the floor. Blood everywhere. And Dynamite does not even go down. He's rocked, but he does not go down. Pat Patterson is seeing this. He's all like, what the fuck are you doing? Ray Rougeau now has Patterson up against the wall... Telling him, mind your own business, don't get involved, this has nothing to do with you. Pat's yelling at Jacques to stop. Jacques is just throwing jabs now at Dynamite. Remember, he's been practicing all week for this. He's throwing jabs at this guy. Dynamite finally is down to one knee. Bad News Brown comes over, he pulls Jacques off of him. Davy Boy finally shows up, he pulls Dynamite away. It's like everybody goes to their corner. Jimmy Hart is at the other end of the building while all of this is going on. He's with the Honky Tonk Man uh, doing promos. 
at the other end of the arena, all of a sudden people start running by going, oh, Jacques just beat up the Dynamite Kid. Patterson gives Dynamite some money. He says, go to the hospital. Get get stitched up. Get fixed up. Go. Leave. Uh, the Rougeaus now, they're ready to meet with Vince. They did what they came to do. So they go to Vince's office. Vince looks. He sees blood all over Jacques' hands. And his eyes just light up. Now, Hogan is in Vince's office. He's, Hogan is still meeting with Vince. Hogan turns around and he, he takes one look at Jacques' bloody hands. And he says, see you later, brother. And he walks out. <laughs> now, allegedly, also, not only did Hogan see this and walk out, but Macho Man, heard the, I guess, heard the commotion. He opened the door to his dressing room. And he took one look at what was going on, you know, over by Vince's office. And he saw Jacques and the bloody hands and everything. And Savage just immediately closed his door. He was like, yeah, I don't want any part of this. These guys did not want to get involved. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage wanted no part of what was going on. So the Rougeos, of course, they think they're fired. You know, and Vince says, look, I'm not firing you. You know, he goes, wait here. I'm going to go find the Bulldogs. Not realizing, I guess, that Pat Patterson had given them money to go to the hospital, so they had already left. Meanwhile, Jacques and Ray, they don't know what's going to happen when Vince comes back or, you know, if the... Vince left, now the Bulldogs are kind of waiting in the wings and they're going to come into the office. They break the legs off of uh, some chairs that were in Vince's office so they at least have weapons in case the Bulldogs come charging in and they try to do something. Vince comes back, he's like, all right, they left. And they say to Vince, look, you know, our bags are over down that way in the dressing room. A lot of their friends are going to be in the locker room. We, we don't feel safe. We don't feel comfortable going back in there by ourselves. And Vince says, oh, you're right. And he personally escorts them to the locker room so they can get their bags. Everybody's giving them dirty looks. Vince escorts them out to the parking lot just to make sure nothing's happening. And when uh, Dynamite realized that Jacques wasn't getting fired later on, he that's when he decided, all right, we got to give our notice. And that's when he and Davey Boy gave their notice to the company. Now... They did not leave right away. What happened was that Vince met with both teams a few weeks later. Again, it was at another live show. They're in the back. He gets the two teams together to try to hash things out and promise that you guys are going to be able to work together and that it's all water under the bridge. They shake hands. They say all the right things. They have the airing of grievances. Everything seems copacetic. Everything seems okay. The Rougeos, of course, they said all the right things. They did all the right things. They didn't buy it. They didn't buy it. And so everywhere they went, they watched each other's backs. When one guy would shower, the other one would be on lookout. If the Bulldogs were staying at this hotel, they would make sure they checked into a completely different hotel. Imagine having to work under these conditions. It's like being in prison. Now we get to the Survivor Series in 88. This was the last show for the Bulldogs. They were on the card. They were actually on opposing teams. Uh, with the Rougeos. Dynamite, of course, whatever he said in that meeting, he didn't believe any of it. He had nothing but revenge on his mind. And he had nothing to lose. This is why the Rougeos were so worried. Not just because they figured Dynamite was full of shit and he's going to get revenge, but they already gave their notice. They're on their way out. What are they worried about? Getting fired? They already quit. Vince knew this. He's not stupid. So he booked it where Ray Rougeau would get rolled up very early in the match by Bret Hart and the Rougeaus would be eliminated. And I think it was like maybe five minutes into the match and the Rougeaus were pinned and they went to the back. 
The idea being, we'll get them out of here early and keep the Bulldogs in the match for a while so that by the time the Bulldogs get to the back, the Rougeos are long gone. And that's what happened. And what's ironic is, you know, how Vince McMahon was trying to calm things down uh, between these two teams. He told the Bulldogs at one point, again, as the story goes, he told the Bulldogs and Dynamite in particular, look, don't do anything stupid here because the Rougeos, they know people. They're, they're up in Montreal. They know people, you know, and they knew the Rougeos were also very friendly in the back with Dino Bravo. And Dino Bravo uh, had, you know, I guess the implication in mentioning Bravo is that Bravo was always believed to uh, know people who could do bad things, that he was mobbed up. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Where his family in some way was mobbed up. You know, I mean, the belief is that Bravo was murdered. You know, when he died, he I mean, clearly he was murdered. He was shot to death numerous times in his home. I think he was sitting in his recliner and he was shot to death, uh, execution style, that it was a mob hit. Something to do with the illegal cigarette trade that he or his family might have been involved in. Uh, so anyway, the implication here by Vince is these people may know other very bad people. Don't do something stupid. So... This whole thing, the whole story is just completely insane to think about when you consider that it all got started by a Kurt Hennig rib. The entire thing is all Mr. Perfect's fault. But Dynamite was also, you know, look, the guy had a short fuse. He wasn't all there. And so that didn't help. It didn't probably take much to set him off. I mean, I mentioned before, you know, some of the horrible things and the horrible stories about Dynamite Kid, you know, his wife was tired of living in fear of what he might do, uh, his destructive behavior. She brought, she bought him a one-way ticket. This is the famous story. Bought him a one-way ticket back to the UK and told him, don't come back. Don't ever come back. And he never did. He took the one-way ticket. He flew back to the UK. I think he may have been living uh, with his parents for a while and then got his own flat, I guess you would call it. And that's where he spent the rest of his days. And, you know, there, there's sad video of... Dynamite's final match in 1996. Now, he had retired in 91, uh, but he came back a few years later. He wrestled a handful of matches. I guess he needed the money. In 96, he wrestled in Tokyo. He was in a six-man tag. He was teaming with Dos Caras, Alberto Del Rio's father. And I didn't know who the other person was. I looked him up. It's this guy, uh, Kuniaki Kobayashi, who I guess was a Japanese uh, junior heavyweight at the time. And on the opposing side was Tiger Mask, right? Dynamite's old rival. Mil Mascaris and the Great Sasuke. 
And the video of the match is up on YouTube. It's very sad to watch. Dynamite was clearly off steroids. So the difference in his physique from how you remember him to how he is in this video, he is much small. He looks sickly. He looked like he had some kind of illness. He did not look like the Dynamite Kid. And maybe that just, frankly, you know, proves that his way of thinking was right in that why he even had to start doing that in the first place. Because if he had an all-natural body, if he looked in 1980 or 1985, let's say 84 when he came to WWF, the way he looked in this video from 96, Vince McMahon would have been like, oh, what are you here to be, an usher? Here to be a ring boy? He would not have had the career that he had. So I, I get that mindset of why, you know, a lot of those guys probably felt like they had to juice up and do what they did. I'm not condoning it, but the problem is you do it so much. You know, you've got a small body. You juice yourself to the gills to the point where your body can't support it. Why do you think so many wrestlers, we hear about them dying in their 40s and 50s because their heart exploded? Or they do an autopsy, you know, enlarged heart. Why do you think that is? So looking at him here, it was it's it's sad, you know. But you look at him in that video; he's wearing a black vest on his way to the ring. He is a dead ringer in this video for Davy Richards. It's kind of scary. I mean, how how similar they look in in this video. Uh, he should not have been wrestling anymore. He had no business being in that match. That was his last match. I don't believe he ever wrestled again. Uh, he had suffered a series of strokes in the last several years, uh, at least two, if not more than two. And when he passed away this week, he did so in an assisted living facility. That's where he had been, maybe since the strokes. There was a um, Sayama, uh, Satoru Sayama documentary done about two years ago. He was uh, Tiger Mask. And of course, I, as I mentioned before, maybe Dynamite's greatest opponent. And uh, in the documentary, they went searching for the Dynamite Kid. And they found him in the uh, in the nursing home, basically. Sitting by the window, a complete mess. You, you can't even understand. He's talking, but you can't even understand what he's saying. Just the saddest sight that you'll ever see. And they put a laptop in front of him with a video of Sayama, who puts the, the mask on, the tiger mask mask on. And he starts to rally dynamite. He's like, Tommy, wake up. Wake up, Tommy. You know, whatever whatever this guy may have done outside the ring... You see him like that, in that state, and yeah, you know, we all make choices. He made his, he paid the price for it, but it doesn't make it any less sad to see him like that, uh, to see somebody who had all the talent in the world, one of the best at his craft, to see him reduced to being an invalid, couldn't take care of himself, and he's only in his 50s at the time. Because of all the drugs and all the abuse that he put his body through night after night. You know, again, I think that you can reflect back on what a great wrestler the man was. I saw Mick Foley in a blog say that Dynamite would be on his Mount Rushmore. If he had a Mount Rushmore of all-time great wrestlers, Dynamite would be on his Mount Rushmore. But it's also fair to point out how flawed he was as a human being because that's part of his legacy as well. Like it or not... That is part of the Dynamite Kid legacy. Why was Dynamite Kid such a pariah? Why, why did he become such an outcast? Because of the things he did and the choices he made. You know, it's like the Ultimate Warrior thing. And, and WWE whitewashing 
the history of the Ultimate Warrior, past comments made by the Ultimate Warrior. They build a fucking statue for the guy, and they name an award after him. You would think that the man wrestled with a halo around his head. Not a big fan of the whitewashing. So I think that has to be part of this story here. But there is no denying that you know Dynamite Kid was one of the best to ever step in the ring. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the way wrestlers talk about how Ric Flair influenced them when they were young, or Shawn Michaels influenced them and got them into the business, there's going to be a lot of people who say the same thing about the Dynamite Kid. I'm so glad I have all of these uh, other things to talk about this week. The more I could talk about that and the less time I talk about Raw, the better. Although I am going to get to that in a, in a little bit here, I promise. But there was some other news. There was a press conference held at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey on Wednesday to announce the city selected to host teams in the new XFL, which for their sake hopefully doesn't go over as well as the new Coke did. Uh, new XFL relaunches the week after the Super Bowl in 2020. Here are the cities and where the teams will be playing. Uh, New York, which will be playing at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. I love it. The The complete disrespect for New Jersey continues. Uh, it goes from WWE and it permeates the XFL as well. You have a team playing in New Jersey, but it's a New York team. I love it. Uh, Los Angeles, they'll be playing at, at the uh, StubHub Center, which is not the worst when it comes to awful... Uh, Awful venue names. Washington, D.C. They'll be playing at Audi Field. Tampa. Be playing at Raymond James Stadium. St. Louis. They'll be playing at The Dome. At America's Center. Seattle. Be playing at Century Century Link Field. Dallas. Playing at Globe Life Park. And Houston. Playing at TD ECU Stadium. Maybe the most ridiculous thing said during this press conference they had during the week came from the CEO of the Houston Sports Authority. This woman, uh, what's her name here? Janice Burke. Janice Burke is her name. At the same time that the memorial service was being held for President George H.W. Bush, she mentioned what a big sports fan he was, which he was, and how he must be looking down from heaven with happiness over the news. <laughs> this is just ridiculous. Yes, I'm sure that George Bush is looking down, not at the giant ceremony with his family and his friends and his and the former presidents, but rather he is looking down ecstatic that Houston is getting its own XFL franchise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If it was a tweet, it would win for sad tweet this week. Talk about tone deaf. Holy shit. They didn't announce any team names. Uh, no logos. N- nothing. None of that. But yet, they have merchandise up already on the XFL website for each city. You can buy a a hoodie or a shirt that says New York. Just the words New York and has the XFL logo on it. Why would you do that? (laughs) Why would anybody 
buy this stuff without names and logos. I, I don't get that. They are not using, I guess Homer Simpson would. I don't know anybody else who would. Uh, but they're not using, they did say they're not using the old XFL team names, so it's not going to be the New York, New Jersey Hitmen or the, uh, I don't even remember any of the other names, but they're not using the old names. Uh, I believe New York and LA are the only two cities with teams that were even in the original league anyway. Uh, maybe the best thing that could happen from this whole XFL thing is that Vince McMahon gets so wrapped up with his little football fantasy and it starts taking up so much of his time that he has less and less time to devote to WWE. And he begins to delegate more responsibility and authority and decision-making to someone else. Like, say, Triple H, for example. Or somebody who can offer fresh ideas and a fresh perspective on things. This XFL revival could be the best thing to happen to Raw and SmackDown. If we could be so lucky. I mean, I you know, this is the second week in a row now we've heard stories that it was Vince McMahon at the last minute rewriting the Raw script and changing things at the last minute to to fit whatever vision it is that he has for the show. Two weeks of some of the worst television all year, maybe of all time, in the history of this show. Credited to Vince McMahon. Credited more than usual to Vince McMahon. Color me shocked. I'm telling you, this XFL revival, if this thing takes off, this could end up being a great thing. For Raw and SmackDown. That's the good news. The bad news is... That's probably not going to happen. But the, the, the bad news is that this league doesn't launch for another year. So uh, we still have a way... Another year of horrible Raws like we've been getting. I, I, I'm not, I'm going to break. I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, one show that I am very much uh, a big fan of... And uh, it's a nice palate cleanser on Monday nights when Raw goes off the air... Is the Edge and Christian show. On the WWE Network. They're on season two. Uh, this past week was episode two. Uh, real quick, they did a spoof of the Goonies. Now, if you don't know what the Goonies are, your childhood sucked. Uh, go back and watch the Goonies. It's a movie from the 80s. Uh, it is great. I watched it many, many, many times as a kid. Uh, and even a few times as an adult. Although, now that I realize it, it's been a while. I should go back and watch it this week. So they did a spoof. They called it the Moonies. Sean Mooney was there. I, I'm not going to get into the whole storyline of it. Uh, but there were cameos, a lot of cameos in this episode. They had cameos from Carlito, uh, Tommy Dreamer, Santino Morella, Vicky Guerrero, Little Guido, and Pete Gass. Pete Gass was in there briefly. He was dressed up as Sloth from the Goonies. Uh, but this episode is worth it alone for Christian's comment. They were they were looking, they were searching for something. They were searching for. Uh, was it Mooney's Pants, I think it was. They were searching for Sean Mooney's Pants. And uh, there's this great comment that I'll just play for you here. A little uh, bit of banter here between Tommy Dreamer and Christian. It is so dark and cavernous and devoid of any life. Are we in the impact zone? Ouch. Ouch. Christian, who also, hey, spent some time in the impact zone, so he would know. Christian with the uh, the impact burn. They also had a, um, they do this thing on the show called the Chumpstain Challenge, which is like a trivia type deal. And the Chumpstain Challenge on the most recent episode was they showed silhouettes of old WWF LJN action figures. Like the big rubber figures, the ones like you could kill somebody with one of these figures. Like these, these were so heavy and I still have half of them. Uh, I'm still pissed at my mother when I was a kid. She she threw half of them away. 
but I still have half of them. They're in a, a box in my closet. So I was like, I'm all in on this. Like they, they showed you nothing except the silhouette of the figure from 30 years ago. I got all of them right, except one. The one I got wrong was at the very end. They showed Bruno San Martino. I was so pissed. Uh, it was a Bruno San Martino uh, figure. And uh, that was the only one I got wrong. It's amazing, though, to think like memory recall. Like, I'm literally watching shadows, silhouettes of of giant action figures from 1987. And I could tell you exactly what each of them were. But if you were to ask me a question about Monday Night Raw last week or two weeks ago, my memory recall on that, if I had watched the full show, would probably be very poor. <laughs> I don't know what that says. I don't, I'm don't. i sure there's a message in there somewhere. Uh, but it's just funny the things you remember... And the things that you don't remember, although I do find that, uh, and I'm a little worried about this, to be honest with you, that uh, I'll think of something, I'll think, oh, I want to do something. And then five seconds later, I can't remember what it was that I wanted to do. And I'll stand there, sometimes for a minute, racking my brain, trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. (laughs) And then I'll realize, oh, I wanted to grab the car keys. Like, this happens to me all the time. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a sign of something. I don't know if that's just natural everyday life. Maybe my brain is quickly turning to mush. Probably it is from watching the show every week. We may as well get right into it here. Monday Night Raw last week uh, was live from Houston, Texas. I just forgot what I was going to do. Oh, that's right. Talk about Raw. Uh, Twitter poll: forty-eight hundred votes. Almost. Think about this. We almost got five thousand votes. In this Raw poll, that's like WrestleMania numbers. So if people are hating this show, uh, they're they're certainly voicing their opinion now more than they ever have before. I'll say that much, because if I got 3,000 votes in a Raw poll in a week, that'd be a pretty good number. This one, I have 4,800 votes listed here. Those are just ridiculous. 6% thumbs up. 32% thumbs down. A whopping 62% did not watch. And right on cue... Every time the didn't watch option ticks up a little bit higher in our poll. I don't know if 62 is is the new high water mark, but it's up there. Every time our didn't watch percentage goes up, it corresponds to Raw scoring a new low in the Nielsen ratings, as they did this week. Raw had its lowest non-holiday rating in the history of the show. A 1.61, which is good for 2.29 million viewers. Uh, That includes live and same-night DVR viewership. And according to a report in The Torch, uh, the 10-week rolling average for Monday Night Raw heading into this past week was a 1.96. This episode marks marks 12 weeks in a row where the rating has clocked in at less than a 1.8. Now, they have dealt with injuries and illness. They're missing Roman Reigns. And Braun Strowman, arguably the two biggest names on that roster, outside of Brock Lesnar, who never shows up. But to me, that excuses nothing. When you look at the pattern, the pattern is clear. And it stretches back long before Raw lost either Roman Reigns or Braun Strowman. The rating two years ago for Monday Night Raw was a 2.08. A year ago, it was a 1.96. Now, it is routinely under a 1.8. This is a steady decline 
over a period of time, much like the quality of this show, a steady decline over a period of time. This is also, by the way, the chickens coming home to roost. Is that okay for me to say, PETA? I'm not sure. I'm going to get to them later. Uh, But this is the chickens coming home to roost because they put everything behind Roman Reigns. Everything behind this one person. He's going to be our guy. He's going to be the guy. And now that he's gone, it's like they don't know what to do. Braun Strowman was over in a big way. He's still over, but he was over in a really big way. But they turned him. They turned him because they needed a heel to feed to Roman Reigns. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Build heavily around one guy. And unless you have a strong supporting cast like WWE was very fortunate to have in 2000. When Stone Cold Steve Austin went down. They had The Rock on the ascent. They had Triple H on the ascent. They had Mick Foley there to help put over. Those guys, or Triple H anyway, I guess he put Rock over the year before. But they don't have a truly strong supporting cast these days the way they did back then. Now with this bipolar booking, they don't. Maybe they could, but they don't. They book these guys into oblivion, so nobody cares about them. So there's no strong supporting cast. And so this is what happens. But McMahon has his millions, so why deviate from the formula, right? I said last week... I wasn't watching the full show. I'd stick to the clips this week. And that's what I did. And I may start doing that more often. Uh, So for those of you who have asked me this week, was this show as bad as the week before? If so, does that make this one the new worst Raw of all time? I don't know. I can't answer that because I didn't watch the entire show. Based on what I did see, it was still horrendously bad. No energy. No excitement. Very lethargic. I think lethargic is a good word. To describe their show these days. Raw to me. You want to know what Raw is like to me? Raw to me. Is like a patient with a terminal illness. That has refused treatment. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of options. A lot of treatment options available to them. But there's, and there's no guarantee that any of them will work. For all the ideas that people have about how to fix Raw. There's no guarantee any one of those ideas will actually work, but it's better than the alternative. It's worth taking that chance. There are treatment options that have been prescribed for them, and they simply refuse to listen. And so each week they get sicker and sicker and sicker. That is Monday Night Raw. At one point during the show... They referred to the Braun Strowman-Baron Corbin match at TLC as the main event. God, I hope not. 
Alexa Bliss, she hosted another open forum this week with Sasha Banks and Bayley because the first one was so entertaining. The first one went over so well, they figured, well, let's give people an encore. So we had more fake fan questions from plants in the crowd. At least this time it led to something. It led to an actual match that uh, Sasha and Bayley won over uh, Mickey and Alicia Fox. They've already announced that Alexa Bliss is hosting a press conference. We're going from the open forum to a press conference on Raw tomorrow night for the Nia Jax-Ronda Rousey match at TLC. It is nice of them to at least warn us in advance so that people can make plans to do other things during these crappy segments on the show. Lucha House Party. They continue to cheat and beat the Revival who are supposed to be the heels in this, by the way. At least I think the Revival are supposed to be the heels. The whiny little heels, I guess. I don't know. I do know that during the show, while all of this was going on, Matt Jackson of the Young Bucks tweeted, One day, we we will wrestle the Revival and everyone will rejoice. Remember this tweet. Scott Dawson, this is while the show was still going on, after their segment where they lost again to the Lucha House Party, He replied to Matt with a clock emoji. Maybe those two WWE stars that were rumored to be leaving for this new uh, All Elite Wrestling promotion next year, when their contracts are up, are not Anderson and Gallows. Well, we know know now that they are not Anderson and Gallows. Uh, Maybe it's Dash and Dawson. PW Insider says that Gallows and Anderson, their deals are not up in April. Like AJ Styles' deal is up in April. Uh, They're actually signed through September of next year. So they're not going anywhere for a while. The Revival, I don't know what their contract status is. But it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. For their sake, they're going to have to do something soon. Because to see what they have been reduced to. like The potential was there for them to be a solid team on that roster. They even got over kind of in a match many, many weeks ago. I think it was the match they had with uh, with McIntyre and Ziggler. So it's not like, oh, these guys will never get over on the main roster. NXT guys don't translate over to the main roster. That was proof right there that they can. And the Revival is not the flashiest team. But they have a role that I think they could they could play and they could fit into on the show. Unfortunately, the role that Vince McMahon sees for them is not the role that a lot of other people see for them. He sees them as a comedy act or enhancement guys, in effect. That's the role that apparently he has settled on them for, and that's the kiss of death. When you start doing comedy shit and you're losing to the Lucha House Party and fucking pinatas, you're done. You're done. They could come out on TV this week and start winning. It doesn't matter. They're done. Either move them to SmackDown, move them to NX- back to NXT, or get the fuck out of this company. But they have got to do something. Their time on Raw, there was potential, it was squashed, and now they've got to make a move. And it's got to be one of those things. Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler are no more. McIntyre called him dead weight, said he didn't need him. This led to a match where Ziggler handed McIntyre his very first singles loss since coming back to Monday Night Raw. This was off the distraction by Finn Balor. So they have the excuse that Balor cost him the match. It's not like Dolph just straight up pinned uh, Drew. I didn't see the point in giving Ziggler a meaningless win and beating Drew like this, but you know it's, it's like Hurricane, right? Pinning The Rock before WrestleMania 19 
off the distraction from Stone Cold. People still talk about that, by the way, as being the biggest win of Hurricane's career. Difference is, nobody's going to even remember this match happened in three months. Three months. Let alone years from now. Uh, Considering how long Ziggler and McIntyre have been together the last several months, uh, I thought this was just a really lame way to do the breakup. and, And to blow this thing off. But... At least Drew can go out on his own now. That's the one good thing coming out of this, at least. We had uh, Bane Ambrose in the ring wearing a gas mask. I don't blame him for wanting to keep the stench of this show off of him. Uh, Unfortunately, though, for him, it's too late. Getting uh, vaccinated one week and wearing a gas mask the next week. This is not exactly what I had in mind when I was hoping that Dean Ambrose would go heel. Leave it to uh, to WWE to fuck that up. Heath Slater beat Rhino. He uh, beat Rhino in a match where Corbin, Baron Corbin, uh, said that the loser would be fired. So Rhino is fired. Uh, I already thought he was fired. I didn't even know he was still employed. Apparently this is all just a storyline. You know what? That's enough for Raw. Nothing else of any note happened. That's Raw. Now, the WrestleVotes uh, Twitter account, wanted to mention this real quick because some people in the Facebook group I saw were talking about it. The uh, Twitter account there, and they've posted some scoops in the past, they posted a tidbit claiming that the plan at one point, before Roman Reigns got sick, was for The Rock to win the Royal Rumble and face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, presumably for the Universal title. They didn't say that, but I would presume it would be for the championship. That plan went out the window, obviously. Uh, But there is always the chance that Rock could still win the Rumble if they were able to get a commitment from him and he could wrestle Brock Lesnar instead at WrestleMania. Which was the original idea, by the way, for the WrestleMania 30 main event. Uh, They were going to shoot the angle on Raw the night after Rock dropped the belt to John Cena, but in that match he tore all sorts of muscles off the bone. And so he couldn't shoot the angle and they decided not to do the match. And what ended up happening, we got Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. And the end of the streak. I blame The Rock. The streak ended because The Rock tore all the muscles off the bone. But, you know, I read this. I read this. And for the love of God, we do not need to see The Rock win the Royal Rumble. I have no problem with The Rock coming back. It's always fun. The energy the energy picks up when he's on TV. For God's sakes, the one thing I would beg for right now is energy like The Rock brings. Just... Put him on Raw in six segments. You know what I mean? Spread him out over the course of the show. We'd be sick of him by the time it was over. I'm begging for some energy on this show. So I don't have a problem seeing The Rock come back to do this or do that. I do not want to see The Rock win the Royal Rumble. I do not want to see The Rock challenging for the championship. At WrestleMania. If they want to do Rock and Brock, fine. Do it on the undercard. It should not be for the championship. Enough already. I mean, seriously, is it any wonder why people just barely give a fuck about these guys on the main roster? Enough! Stop, please. Just stop. Smackdown. Oh, my blood pressure's going up here. Smackdown. Shanti. Shanti. There we go. Smackdown was live from Austin, Texas. Over 3,000 votes, 46% thumbs up, just 5% thumbs down, 49% of you said you did not watch. Uh, Now that was higher than last week in terms of the people who didn't watch, and it reflected, much like Raw, 
in the ratings for this episode. Now, look, if we're going to call out Raw for repelling viewers away, we need to do the same thing for SmackDown. SmackDown does not have a pattern for consistently repelling viewers the, the way Raw does, but still, this week's SmackDown did its lowest rating since moving live to Tuesdays, uh, second only to the night of the presidential election two years ago. That was the, the one night where it did fewer viewers. 1.9 million. So they are under 2 million viewers now for SmackDown. And we're less than a year away now until SmackDown moves to Fox. I saw Jeff Jarrett at the NFL game on Thursday night. He was wearing a SmackDown shirt. They had Jeff Jarrett on TV promoting SmackDown's big move to Fox because nothing says ratings like Jeff Jarrett. So that was interesting. Uh, I saw Triple H was at that boxing fight yesterday as well. But uh, yeah, so this guy Nielsen, uh, he was not kind to WWE this week. He seemed uh, a bit irritated. But uh, in some good news that is sort of tied into SmackDown here, tickets went on sale for Becky Lynch's VIP access session for the uh, Royal Rumble weekend, and it sold out in 90 seconds. That's pretty cool. Becky, by the way, assassinated Charlotte with a tweet this week. Your savage tweet of the week. She posted a photo mocking the fact that Charlotte missed a month of SmackDown shows to have her breasts enlarged. Uh, she is the uh, the breast in the business. And Becky only missed one SmackDown show with a broken face. And she was back on TV the very next week. Charlotte had some kind of comeback. It really was just... Uh, it's like somebody being punched in the face with a roll of quarters, right? They, they may not go down. They can struggle back to their feet. But the comeback just isn't going to be as good as the initial blow. I enjoyed the opening segment uh, from Tuesday night. They had a contract signing for TLC with Charlotte and Becky and Asuka. I saw an item on Fightful.com that Vince McMahon was supposedly caught off guard by all of the positive crowd reactions that Asuka has been getting, and that's why she was added to the TLC main event. Make no mistake, it is the TLC main event. He apparently took notice uh, before Survivor Series. Remember that one SmackDown where Becky, uh, it was the night after, Becky had her face broken? And uh, she came out and they had all the ladies of SmackDown in the ring and she was kind of going down the line and she was going to make her choice. She was going to handpick her replacement to wrestle Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series. And when she came to Asuka, the crowd cheered. Now she ended up picking Charlotte uh, and the crowd seemed to be okay with that too, but they gave Asuka this rousing ovation. Apparently that was the night that Vince McMahon sort of perked up and said, huh. And, uh, and he took notice of her reaction. He is shocked by Asuka's positive reactions when she's been getting positive reactions for months now. I, I find that hilarious. <laughs> All of a sudden, this guy notices. Well, you know what? Better late than never. But this means nothing if Asuka's just one and done at TLC and, and you know, back to the mid-card. She should be factored into the women's title plans going into WrestleMania. Uh, I enjoyed asshole environmentalist Daniel Bryan on uh, Ms. TV this week. After all, his title belt is made of leather. He is not a real vegan. He may have to do something about that. You know, when I interviewed him all those years ago and he was the world champion, he kind of joked at the end of the interview, if you remember episode 212 of the uh, the Sound Off, that uh, he may have to have a hemp belt made. So I am all in favor of Daniel Bryan having a hemp WWE Championship belt made. Because if we could have a WWE Championship belt that spins... Then we can have a hemp belt. Uh, he called out the fans for their dated what chance. Called them fickle over and over again. That's the creative team projecting there. 
Although they're not wrong. The fans are very fickle. He pointed out the fact that he kicked AJ Styles once in the groin, and all of a sudden he's a bad guy. He, by the way, he didn't kick him in the groin. He kicked him in the dick. Call it what it is. He also kicked Brock Lesnar in the dick, but he didn't mention that. He says, one dick kick, yet all you people pollute the earth every single day, and I'm the bad guy. He kicked one man on one day, he said, and all you people are far worse than I am. The fans are the heels. That's the message coming out of this. AJ Styles ran down. Brian escaped. Miz laid him out with the skull-crushing finale. That led to the main event. Uh, we had another, hopefully, final match here between Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton. It ended when uh, bartender Samoa Joe, bartender Joe, distracted Jeff up on the Titantron as he was uh, getting ready to hit a swanton bomb. I like this new gimmick where Joe tries out different uh, a different vocation each week. So on the Edge and Christian show two weeks ago, he had a beret on his head and he was selling Girl Scout cookies out of the back of his Jeep. This week, he was tending bar somewhere in uh, Austin, Texas. He poured himself a pint. Drink responsibly, he said, teasing Jeff for his past substance abuse issues. Maybe Joe can come out on TV this Tuesday and he can try to recreate that uh, victory road debacle with Jeff from TNA. Joe was there. He might, have even, he might have even wrestled that night. I'm sure he remembers. Uh, AJ beat Miz in the main event. Brian got involved. He was out there doing commentary. After the match, Brian just viciously attacked AJ. Uh, gave him a couple of uh, chop blocks and stomped on his face. I can get behind asshole environmentalist Daniel Bryan. Now, scheduled for this Tuesday so far is a rap battle between the New Day, The Bar, and The Usos. So we have a press conference on Monday. We have a rap battle on Tuesday. I guess all we need on uh, Wednesday on NXT is a great debate. Uh, also on Tuesday, Charlotte is going to wrestle Asuka in what they are billing as a WrestleMania rematch. I have already proposed this match, you guys know, for next year's WrestleMania. Becky and Ronda in the main event for the Raw Women's title. And Charlotte defending the SmackDown Women's title against Asuka. That's the plan I laid out a few weeks ago. And I'm hoping, you know, hopefully doing it here does not prevent them from doing it at WrestleMania. Although I suspect this is just being done to give Asuka a win. uh, To give her more credibility going into TLC. Which makes me feel even stronger that she's not winning at the pay-per-view. And Becky is going to drop the title to Charlotte, as I feel she should. You know, I wouldn't even be mad if Asuka would win the championship. I had people say to me, why do you want Charlotte to win the title again, man? That's the same shit. Why not Asuka? Look, I'm not I'm not going to be upset if Asuka wins the championship, but you have to understand something. If Asuka wins the championship, right, then she's dropping it to Charlotte. You do realize this. I hope these people who who, who went at me for this understand that if Asuka wins the championship at TLC... She is going to drop it, whether it's WrestleMania, whether it's at the Royal Rumble. She is going to drop the title to Charlotte, which is exactly what I do not want to see. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want her factored into the plans going into WrestleMania. I would rather her go to WrestleMania and win the championship and actually kind of get her win back because Charlotte beat her this year and have Asuka win and win the title of WrestleMania. I'm not quite sure why people are advocating for the other scenario because they have to... Surely you understand if Asuka wins the title, where this is going. I'm not sure why you would want that. So anyway, um, the uh, Queen of the Ring thing. I wanted to just comment on this real quick because it was in the Observer and people are talking about this. Even though it's just an idea, this is not confirmed, it may not happen, but WWE apparently has been batting around the idea of doing a Queen of the Ring tournament sometime next year. This is a company that could not even get the king of the ring right the last few times they did it. So, to me, this does not inspire a whole lot of confidence that they would do it better with the women. That being said, you know what? No harm, no foul. I mean, they have nothing, they have no, (laughs) they have nothing to fuck up. It's not like they've tried this before. And when they've done the Mae Young Classic, I've enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed both Mae Young Classic tournaments. The difference there is that was an NXT thing. That was a Triple H baby. Vince McMahon had nothing to do. With the booking of the Mae Young Classic. If they do a Queen of the Ring, he will have everything to do with the booking of, of this tournament. And so that worries me. But I say, why not? You know, to me, they could do it at a, do it at a time where the winner can earn a women's championship match. Maybe it's SummerSlam. That's the way they used to do it with the King of the Ring. Same concept. Also as the Royal Rumble. Where the winner would earn the right to choose the champion that they would like to face. There's no reason that it can't work the same way with the Queen of the Ring tournament. And I'll do you one better. You know, like the Royal Rumble, I would open it up to one or two ladies from NXT to earn their way into the tournament. Now, as much as I am sure that WWE would be very tempted to have Charlotte win and, you know, the Queen becoming Queen. I say, how about another queen? Why not the queen of spades? Shayna Baszler. Maybe after dropping the NXT women's title, let's say, over WrestleMania weekend, she earns a spot. She earns maybe the lone NXT spot, qualifies for it in the queen of the ring tournament, and she goes all the way. That could be her entry to the main roster. And if Becky Lynch were to beat Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania to win the Raw Women's title and she could hold on to it long enough, you could have a situation where Shayna Baszler chooses to fight Becky for her Raw title and at the same time tries to gain a measure of revenge for her friend Ronda. In fact, you could use this as sort of the starting point here to get to the Horsewomen becoming one on the main roster, so you'd have to call up the other two also. Uh, but you know, that could be, uh, another step kind of in the process to get to the eventual horsewomen feud on the main roster. And that could be the main event of your next evolution pay-per-view. It could be a four on four, whether it's an elimination match or not. I don't know. 
I guess you could always do that as Survivor Series. But I could see that as being your main event if they do another Evolution show in the fall of, of next year. All of this can tie together. You see, now that's an idea. Now, if not Shayna, you could use the NXT spot to showcase, you know, s- someone else like Bianca Belair. Maybe she doesn't win it, uh, but she has an impressive showing and can make a name for herself. She is a very impressive performer. Uh, she's going to open a lot of eyes that still are not opened once she actually hits the main roster, which I hope is not for a while yet. I'm not advocating that I want Bianca Belair to be booked by Vince McMahon on the main roster in the next few months. I'm just saying, if not Shayna Baszler entering and winning and having that as her entry point to the main roster, then I would use use at least one spot in that tournament to showcase an NXT talent Bianca Belair is somebody who, just by virtue of a few appearances, you know, main roster appearances as part of this tournament, even if she doesn't win, uh, could go back to NXT then for a while and become, and just be an even bigger star. Because she got to hang, you know, with some of the big main roster performers. So I I like that idea. I'm fine with either one. I prefer the Shayna idea. Uh, I, I like that idea more. It took me five minutes the other day to come up with this, by the way. So I'm hoping that whatever they were to come up with should be even better. Not that I have a lot of faith, but if they put time and effort and thought into this, it could be a lot of fun. It could be a lot of fun. And Shayna has made a lot of strides in NXT over the last few months. She can't hold on to that title forever. I think this would be the next logical step. Watching football is fun, but it's more exciting when you've got some skin in the game. It doesn't matter if you're an expert or a rookie, you need to be betting at my bookie. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on college basketball and football, the NBA, the NHL, even esports. You name it, my bookie has it. They've been in business for years, they've got great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. Also, make sure to follow them on Twitter at BetMyBookie. They personally respond to every mention in DM, not to mention they've given away more than 10 grand in free money to their followers this football season. Don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports all year. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code SOLOMONSTER to get your 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code SOLOMONSTER. My bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. NXT this week, we had the debut of Punishment Martinez, former Ring of Honor television champion. He took on Matt Riddle. Uh, I see some people online saying that Punishment Martinez reminds them of Baron Corbin. I guess because of his height and and how lanky he kind of looks. I hope it's because of his height, because being compared to Baron Corbin right now would be the kiss of death to me. He reminds me more looks-wise of Roman Reigns. He's maybe maybe isn't as built, but uh, if Vince McMahon, I feel like if Vince McMahon took one look at this guy, he would throw a vest on him and he would send him out to wrestle Brock Lesnar. But uh, he looked good here. I mean, again, the match only went three minutes. I enjoyed this. I really did. Riddle won with the bro mission. I think Punishment Martinez is going to do real well, uh, and so will Matt Riddle. This this NXT brand, man. I'm telling you, this brand is stocked. It is stocked with talent and. I look at this and it's so weird because this should be an exciting time if you're a WWE fan to be like, man, look at all of the talent they have in NXT. I can't wait. Let's let's book out in our mind, fantasy book out in our heads all of these scenarios for how we're going to introduce all these guys in the next year. 
And I'm looking at this praying that most of these guys stay exactly right where they are and don't go anywhere. That's how little faith I have in the brain trust right now responsible for Raw and SmackDown to do well by these guys because so many others, they have done wrong by so many others. You know, for every Samoa Joe or or someone who goes from NXT to the main roster and does reasonably well, and, and some have. You know, Elias is another one. There have been as many, if not more, who have been either mishandled or just have not gotten the opportunity. And it's so true what they say. You only get one chance to make a good first impression. So many people get fucked over by a horrible first impression. And it's like they're in a hole and now they got to climb out of that hole. And some guys can do it and some guys can't. And it pains me to look at this roster, how talented it is. And I'm looking, like if I saw a picture of the roster, I'd have to like pick off faces like half of them probably would, you know, would end up going nowhere. And it worries me. It does It does worry me. So I say let these guys keep doing their thing in NXT. Uh, they'll be big stars at some point down the road. Some of them could be big stars right now. Uh, maybe the problem is that there's just too much talent. And they and they, they don't have time maybe to uh, to dedicate to them. And if that's the case, don't call them up. Don't call them up if you're not ready for them and you don't have a spot. Let's see what happens. Lars Sullivan is going to be, he's like a test tube baby. We're going to see what they do with Lars Sullivan. They're running these vignettes for him. He's still coming soon. We don't know where he's going. Let's see what they do with him. He's he's a bit of, of an exceptional case because he's a big guy, right? He's not really tall, but he's he's sort of this monstrous looking uh, giant of, of sorts. And so he may get a big monster push. You know, that, that a Matt Riddle or, you know, Cassius Ono or somebody like that would, would never get if they debuted. But let's see what happens because I thought Triple H did a good job of, of protecting Sullivan and building him up as a kind of an unstoppable force in NXT. Let's see if that carries over to the main roster. It'll be a, a good test to see what happens with him. Uh, we have uh, the Forgotten Sons. I want to talk about them. Forgotten Sons won a squash match. I'm not sure who bores me more on this show. These guys or the mighty. These guys are going to be forgotten real quick. Take a look at Sanity. There's another one. (laughs) Another act. Take a look at Sanity on the main roster. And they're kind of in the same category almost as Heath Slater and Rhino, where I sometimes have to stop and ask myself, are these guys even still employed? Are they still under contract? Did their contracts quietly lapse? And they're just uh, waiting out there non-compete? No, they're still there. But that's where I see the Forgotten Sons. If they ever make it out of NXT, that's kind of where I see the Forgotten Sons ranking as a uh, a forgotten faction on Raw or SmackDown. Uh, That's their future. They're they're just a very dull act. There's nothing to me, nothing appealing right now about these guys. Uh, we had a good match between Shayna Baszler and Dakota Kai, with Baszler getting the win with her uh, her clutch. What's it called? The uh, the Karafuda clutch, I believe, is the uh, full name for it. And uh, we had the final segment of the show, uh, which was great. We had Tommaso Ciampa, NXT champion, came out, cut a promo, and he even singled out Mauro Ranallo at one point. It was comical because they sh- panned the camera back to Mauro. Morrow, I don't know that he ever moved a muscle. It was like he was frozen in space and time. He just was staring a hole at Tommaso Ciampa, not even reacting to it. I thought uh, it was maybe it wasn't Morrow. Maybe it was a picture of Morrow. 
Who knows? So Champa's cutting this promo. All of a sudden, Alistair Black comes out and he says that he is invoking his rematch clause for the rematch he never got. At TakeOver Phoenix, that's Royal Rumble weekend, so it will be Tommaso Ciampa defending the championship against Aleister Black. And Johnny Gargano came out to say, because Black had made the comment, that I beat Johnny Gargano and I absolved him of all of his sins. I'm done with him. And that brought out Johnny Gargano to say, well, I'm not done with you. You know, this is uh, this is not finished yet. And Champa was great. Champa's watching all of this. He's out on the apron. He's egging them on. He goes, you know, I love seeing Johnny Badass out here. It's great to see Johnny Badass instead of Johnny Wrestling. And and he's saying, you know, what you guys should do, I think that you guys should have a steel cage match to resolve your issues. And they both seem to like that idea. Black went to give Gargano a black mask. He ducked out of the way and left the ring. And Tommaso Champa though, wasn't so fortunate. He got kicked in the face for... Uh, for egging them on. But in fact, in two weeks, there will be a steel cage match on NXT between Aleister Black and Johnny Gargano. And I was thinking, you know, like, when was the last time we saw a cage match on NXT? And I can't remember, like, NXT television. I can't remember when. I'm, I'm almost sure it happened once before. Uh, and I know it's happened like a takeover. I'm not talking about takeover. But I cannot remember the last time we had a steel cage match uh, at Full Sail on NXT. Sad tweet this week goes to PETA. I'm not talking about the bread. PETA is the largest animal rights organization in the world. I'm sure you've heard of them before. And I'm sure there's a lot of very passionate, humane, kind members of PETA. And then there's also a bunch of psychos who do some crazy things as well. But you could probably say that about any organization like this. Uh, any organization, period. And look, I'm all for animal rights. You know, I'm a cat guy myself. A lot of you heard last week, you picked up on little meows in the background during the show because uh, Jinx won't shut up. Uh, maybe one day I'll put her in front of the mic. I'll bring her on with me. So look, I'm a, I'm a cat guy myself. I'm, I'm, I'm an animal guy. I despise people who abuse animals. I don't think their underlying message here with what I'm about to say is a bad one. But the way they're going about it is all wrong. And by doing it in the way that they've done it here, they've made themselves the butt of a giant joke. And their their message is just going to be lost in translation here. They're going to be... They have been roundly mocked for this. Uh, and deservedly so. Let us all point and mock. They posted a tweet this week, PETA did, with a chart telling people how to remove speciesism from their daily conversations. Stop using anti-animal language, they say. On the left, there are a series of expressions that have been around for years and years and years that people use in everyday conversation. On the right of the chart are PETA's suggestions on what to replace them with. In the growing laundry list of words and phrases that are apparently no longer acceptable today to use. And by the way, I'm losing track of everything here. I'm going to have to start, I'm going to have to keep flashcards on me just to keep track of all the words and things I'm not allowed to use anymore. But according to them, the following expressions should be on your banned list going forward. Instead of to 
kill two birds with one stone. They suggest saying, feed two birds with one scone. And as a few people have pointed out, scones are made with egg. So I guess they're suggesting cannibalism now. Be the guinea pig should be replaced with be the test tube. I don't know anybody who would want to be the test tube, but that's what you should replace it with. Instead of beat a dead horse, feed a fed horse. Don't feed a fed horse because I guess if they overeat, they'll puke all over the place, I guess, is the logic behind that. This one might be my favorite. Bring home the bacon, which is probably an expression I have never used ever, not one time in my entire life. But bring home the bacon becomes bring home the bagels. Well, if uh, if you're Jewish, you'd be bringing home the bagels over the bacon anyway. Not me. I proudly eat bacon on my bagels and will continue to do so. And uh, last but not least here, take the bull by the horns becomes take the flower by the thorns. I'm all for keeping animal violence out of things, but you're not going to get people to stop using these expressions. It is a futile effort. And by coming up with expressions that frankly sound even dumber than uh, guinea pig and bringing home the bacon, as I said before, all you're doing is drowning out your own message. Seriously, who came up with these? Feed two birds with one scone? I guess soon you won't be able to weasel your way out of something. Lest we offend the weasel population. No more wild goose chase. That's another one. No more uh, ants in your pants. Although, I will, I, I have to say this. To tie it back to wrestling here. I never did understand the whole skin the cat thing. Skinning the cat did always sound pretty sketchy to me. I'm surprised they don't uh, protest though. You know, outside of uh, Jim Ross's house. Where all those government mules he talks about beating. Maybe maybe when he walks outside they could throw scones at him. And bagels. And I didn't even bring up the elementary school principal. I don't know how many of you heard about this. The, uh, the elementary school principal who banned candy canes. And anything red or green. This season because they could offend people during the holidays. <laughs> like what the hell is going on lately? Thankfully, this person has been placed on administrative leave. I say, I've had conversations, I can work with people about these stories lately, and I say, solutions in search of a problem. That's all any of this is. Solutions in search of a problem. Anyway, let's get to the mailbag. And actually, before we get to the mailbag, I want to give some love here for the annual Super Kick the Holidays fundraiser which is back, and uh, the goal this year is $3,000 in donations. They are almost at the halfway point. Last I checked, they might be at the halfway point now. Uh, They're going to be purchasing food, clothing, toys for homeless families, veterans uh, across the New York City area. They are tax-exempt, and so donations of $70 and up can be written off. They also support employer matching which you can do directly on their website. So visit www.superkickfoundation.org slash S-T-H and the number four. That's Super Kick the Holidays 4. 
Uh, you can go there and donate. Uh, they are a good organization. They were started by somebody who listens to this podcast, in fact, and he's been doing it for a number of years. Uh, he's a uh, he's a good guy for for doing this, and hopefully, you guys can contribute something. If you have questions for the mailbag, you could email me thesolomonster at gmail dot com. Please include your name and where you are from. We'll try to keep this mailbag brief because. I, uh, I'm already pretty deep into the show, and we still have to get to match number eight in the Royal Rumble countdown, man. I'm telling you, the content never stops. The content never stops. I'm, I'm rolling this train along here. We got a lot to get to. So uh, let's get into it. By the way, you know, it's funny uh, <laughs> reading some of the comments on YouTube this week on my Kevin Nash video. One of the mailbag questions I answered last week was, what are the three best matches of Kevin Nash's career? And I got into the whole thing about how Ric Flair once said Kevin Nash had zero talent, which is not true. And that irritated a lot of people. That rubbed people the wrong way. Because they said, oh, you you, you know, you obviously know more than Ric Flair about, uh, about wrestling. No, I know that, you know, somebody like Kevin Nash uh, would have to be the smartest fucking man alive to have had the run that he has had for the amount of time that he has had in the business and make as much money as he's had without having no talent, or without having talent, I should say. Boy, I wish I could be that talentless and make the kind of money that Kevin Nash did. It's like Baron Corbin. Some people say the same thing about Baron Corbin now, and and how they've stopped watching Raw in part because of him. See? You can't say he's not talented just because you don't like the guy. He got you to stop watching Raw. He had enough talent to repel you from watching Monday Night Raw. Baron Corbin is to Raw what Raid is to Roaches. That's talent. Gavin from Salt Lake City, Utah. The British Bulldogs left WWE shortly after the incident with Dynamite Kid and Jacques Rougeau, but what if Davey Boy and Dynamite decided to stay instead of going to Canada and Japan, what do you think would have happened with the team and both men individually in the company? I think there's a very good chance that Dynamite would have murdered Jacques Rougeau. That's what I think. I think he would have gone to jail. And I'm not. I'm only half joking when I say that. There is no telling what Dynamite Kid would have done to this guy. So that's number one. As far as what they would have done, I think they would have... It depends. I mean, you know, how long would they have stuck around for? Because you guys had their run and then they didn't. You could point to other teams that had their run. Maybe they were even tag team champions, and then they got phased out. I think the Bulldogs would have been phased out. And I think that of the two, if anybody was going to come back or be kept on for a singles run, it would have been Davey Boy, because Davey Boy, especially once he just went completely off the rails with the freaking steroids and stuff. I mean, my God, you look at how he ballooned up. It was probably Vince McMahon's wet dream. And he was, uh, I guess, a naturally bigger guy anyway than Dynamite. So I still, I don't know that things would have worked out terribly differently. I think Davey Boy would have had a run uh, as a singles performer. I think you got to also remember the injury. So they chose to leave in 88. But, you know, when Dynamite's back went out, his health really started to, to go downhill and decline. It was in late 86. So he was already hurt. I don't know how much longer he would have been able to go anyway. Not on that schedule. I mean, that schedule that those guys kept back then in that company was inhumane. Uh, so I think things would have probably ended up where they where they ended up being. You know, Davy Boy maybe would have been a little bit delayed in getting a singles run. 
but I think he would have gotten one. I think Dynamite would have left or had to retire because I don't think his health would have allowed for anything more than that. Uh, Noel from Brawley, California. In the last episode of The Sound Of, you talked about how you think Becky Lynch should drop the SmackDown Women's title at TLC so she can go on to win the Women's Royal Rumble match. Since the pay-per-views are co-branded, do you see any possibility of Nia Jax interfering in the match at TLC and screwing Becky out of the championship? Yes. Yes, I do. I think there's a very good chance that that will happen. Uh, I don't think, obviously, that Nia Jax is going to beat Ronda Rousey and win the championship at TLC. But I do think that she, her coming back out, or her and Tamina coming back out. And remember, there's no rules in a TLC match other than if it's a championship match, you climb the ladder and pull the title down. There's no disqualifications. There is nothing stopping Nia Jax from getting involved and throwing another punch. In fact... Now that I think, now that you mentioned that, there's your finish, as far as how to uh, to get Becky out of the picture so that Charlotte or or Oscar, I guess, can can win the title at TLC. Becky could very well have the match won. Nia comes out, punches her in the face, knocks her out. That paves the way for her to lose the championship. And you know, to having lost the championship and having an excuse why because this woman punched her in the face. And my whole thing, my whole idea of Becky entering the Rumble and last eliminating Nia makes even more sense then. So Becky enters herself into the Rumble. Nia's in the Rumble. It could come down to the two of them. Becky gets her revenge, dumps her out of the ring, gets to choose the champion that she faces at WrestleMania. It all works out. I like it. I like that idea. Dave from Marietta, Georgia. Is there any truth to the rumor of Kenny Omega getting his own documentary on HBO? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting story. And and here's what I know about that. I've probably read the same things that you've read. But there is a musician out of Toronto. Uh, his name is Joseph Shabasin. Or Shabasin, I'm sorry. Shab- I think Shabasin is how you pronounce it. Uh, it's like these uh, idiots who can't pronounce Solomon for some reason. And he was interviewed on a podcast called Creative Control, which is not a wrestling podcast, although you would think it is, but it's not. It's a, uh, a culture. From what I could tell, it's a culture podcast. And Shabasin let it slip that he just finished scoring a documentary about a wrestler named Kenny Omega that is scheduled to come out next year on HBO. And he said all he really knew about it uh, was that Omega is from Winnipeg, but he went to Japan to form this tag team called the Golden Lovers, uh, which he called, and this is his quote, he said, it is sort of like the first ever queer story in wrestling. Which is, of course, not true. <laughs> but he's not a fan, and so there's no way he would know that. Now, John Pollock over at Post Wrestling uh, confirmed that the documentary with another... Uh, with another member of the production team. So he confirmed that this documentary is happening. It is being worked on. It is being filmed. Uh, and apparently they've been following Kenny Omega around for a while. They were filming him at All In back in September. So it sounds like this thing is definitely happening. HBO just did a wrestling documentary last year on Andre the Giant, which was tremendous. Uh, that was a Bill Simmons thing. I don't think Bill Simmons has anything at all to do with this. Uh, and in fact... This would be, uh, according to to Meltzer, he mentioned that this would be for HBO Canada and not HBO US. I didn't even know there was a separate HBO in Canada, but I guess they have their own HBO. Now, 
there is a rumor going around that in the documentary, Omega may possibly come out of the closet. Now, that's not confirmed. Uh, This was first teased. There was a Reddit user back in August who posted that HBO was filming a documentary uh, or some kind of special on Kenny Omega where he might come out, uh, I guess, as gay publicly. This person said this on Reddit in August. Doesn't mean it's true, but it definitely seems like there's smoke to the fire here. Uh, He did post that on on there over three months ago, well before this news broke. So we shall see. Any kind of HBO documentary on a wrestler has my interest. Uh, It could be a big year for wrestling documentaries. Remember, Viceland is supposed to be starting a series called The Dark Side of the Ring. And they're going to have specials on Bruiser Brody and his murder. uh, Randy Savage and Elizabeth. The Von Erichs. I think the Montreal Screwjob is on there as well. Even though we already have one. We already have a documentary on that. It's called Wrestling with Shadows, which is quite good. If you've never seen it, you should. So it looks like it uh, could be a a big year for wrestling documentaries. And lastly here, we have an audio question from Texas. This comes from Carlos. Hey, Solid Monster. This is Colossus Carlos Cruz Jr. And I have an audio buy or sell for you. Of the two TLC matches that were given out for free in the early 2000s, buy or sell of the superior one? Raw 2002 with Kane defending the tag titles against RVD and Jeff Hardy, Bubba Ray and Spike Dudley, and Chris Jericho and Christian? Or the one from SmackDown in 2001 with Jericho and Benoit defending the titles against the Hardys, the Dudleys, and Edge and Christian? I always preferred TLC 3 from SmackDown, so I'm going to buy on that and sell on TLC 4. Uh, the thing about TLC4, I, I remember there being, I think there was a really sick bump that Bubba Ray took, maybe where he fell on his head or something and suffered a concussion. I remember that. And of course, I remember it more for what happened when the show was over. When the match was over, Triple H came out, he accused Kane of murder, and that led to the Katie Vick storyline. So maybe that's why maybe that's why I tend to try to block that out of my mind. TLC3... Uh, as good as TLC4 was, TLC3 was awesome. And what's even more incredible about that, those guys apparently didn't know until they got to the building that they were having a TLC match. You know, Edge and Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys, they had just had one at WrestleMania uh, not too long before this. All of a sudden, they say, hey, uh, we need you guys to go out there and have a TLC match, which I'm sure probably didn't make them very happy. Uh, and I'm, I imagine that it may have been necessitated by Triple H's injury and what happened to him. Plans had been changed. He had just torn his quad. Jericho and Benoit had just won the tag team titles from Austin and Triple H uh, that night before when Triple H got hurt. And this was, I believe, the very next night, if I have my timeline correct on this. And on short notice, these guys went out with a brand new team because now it was four teams instead of three. And again, they tore the house down. They had an incredible match. Jericho and Benoit retained. And it sort of is the forgotten TLC. People may say that about TLC 4. I don't look at it that way. TLC 3, especially given you know Benoit's involvement, WWE never talks about it. That really is the forgotten TLC match. And it's very good. Uh, it's right on par, I would say, with the other ones. I still maintain that TLC 2 is the best out of all of them. But TLC 3, I would probably put that at number 2. For me, anyway, behind uh, the second TLC match. It's time to rumble! It's time for the Royal Rumble! It is once again time for our weekly Royal Rumble countdown. 
of the top 10 greatest championship matches in Royal Rumble history. I started this countdown two weeks ago. We are two matches in. We are now up to number eight. And I dropped a little tease earlier in the show that the number eight happened to be relevant to this particular match in the countdown. Reason being, it marked the eighth WWE Championship victory for The Rock in his very first meeting with CM Punk at the 2013 Royal Rumble in Phoenix, Arizona, which just so happens to be the location for next year's Royal Rumble. They're going to be back in Phoenix. I like this match. I know there's people who are going to be wondering why this match is on the countdown, and and some of you may love this match, uh, and others are going to wonder why it's even on here, because they just don't look back fondly on it, or they thought The Rock was uh, too slow, whatever their excuse, maybe they just didn't like the finish. I know a lot of people were very angry at how this match went down, and how this match ended, and uh, especially if you're a CM Punk fan. You probably don't like this match being in the countdown, but I like this match, and I liked it when I first reviewed it back on Sound Off episode 258. Uh, and so I had watched it again recently for the first time, probably since then, and I enjoyed it. And in watching it back, my opinion has not changed. The tension here, much of it playing off of Punk's real feelings, dates all the way back to that pipe bomb promo that he cut on Raw uh, in June of 2011. When Punk talked about how it made him sick that Dwayne was in the main event of WrestleMania the following year and not him. So that's how far back this story goes. The seed was planted with the pipe bomb. Fast forward a year, over a year, to Raw 1000, the first permanent three-hour Monday Night Raw, the beginning of our long national suffering, in July of 2012. The Rock is on that show that night. He announces that he had just beaten John Cena months earlier at WrestleMania in Miami. Here on this show, he announced that whoever was the WWE champion come Royal Rumble in January, he would be challenging them for the championship. Champion at the time just so happened to be CM Punk. And that was the night that Punk attacked The Rock at the end of the show. Rock went to go give Big Show a people's elbow and Punk came out of nowhere and clotheslined him and then laid him out with the go to sleep, and he turned heel. There was a great build-up package, a great video package that aired for this match. You should all go back and watch it. Even if you don't watch the match, watch the video package. This is one of the better ones I think that WWE has ever done. Uh, And it included, of course, clips of the famous quote from CM Punk that he used on Raw when he told The Rock, your arms are just too short to box with God, which is such a great line. Not an original one. Uh, It was used, uh, that was actually the name of a Broadway musical long before Punk ever used it. And and before that, it originated in a fiction novel that was published over a hundred years before this pay-per-view. So for any Punk fans who think he came up with that on his own, he did not. Although it doesn't make it any less of a a fantastic line. The Shield had beaten up The Rock six days before the pay-per-view. They laid him out with the triple powerbomb. There was some question about whether or not Paul Heyman was in cahoots with the Shield and had paid them off. CM Punk was in cahoots with them. Punk played it off like he had nothing to do with the Shield. He kept saying that over and over again. I have nothing to do with the Shield. Vince McMahon said that if the Shield interfered in this match at the Royal Rumble, Punk would be stripped of the WWE title. So we get to the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, and The Rock cuts this total 
white meat baby face promo right before the match backstage clearly watched Dusty Rhodes' Hard Times promo before this or, or remembered the promo. Maybe he watched it again. I don't know. But he was definitely modeling his promo here after the Hard Times promo, which is not a bad one to steal from or, or to emulate, uh, right down to putting his hand out, you know, kind of the way Dusty did. And Dusty, if you remember, he said, I'm putting my hand out to touch yours. Uh, Rock put his hand out to all the fans watching at home. He talked about overcoming adversity and how he had seven bucks in his pocket when he was 24 years old and was kicked out of the Canadian Football League. And, you know, people get passed over for opportunities at work. I was half expecting him to start talking about, you know, giving him a watch, kicking him in the butt and telling him that a computer took your place, daddy. But he didn't do that. Uh, He promised to end the 434-day nightmare of CM Punk. As WWE Champion. We had Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and JBL on commentary. JBL was absolutely insufferable. During and after this match. Especially after the match. But we'll get to that. Because even Michael Cole was fed up with him by the time this was over. He kept going on and on. JBL did about 10 years since The Rock was last champion. And Muhammad Ali, you know, he won the world title in boxing 10 years apart, and now The Rock is trying to be Muhammad Ali, and there was, look, there was little drama here as far as who was going to win this match. We already knew we were getting Rock and Cena in a rematch at WrestleMania. Rock beat Cena at WrestleMania in Miami, Cena won the Royal Rumble match earlier on this show to earn the right to challenge for the championship at WrestleMania. A blindfolded drunk man who couldn't read a map to save his life could see where this was going. And that did hurt the match to an extent. But it didn't ruin... I don't think it ruins the overall enjoyment of the match and what they did here and the story they were trying to tell. Predictable though it may have been. Uh, In this case, predictable worked. It worked for the fans in the building because they never turned on The Rock. They were behind him 100% through and through. Which was kind of weird to watch because you know that if this happened today... The Rock would be booed by at least half, if not the entire building. Now, he's The Rock, so I don't think he would ever be booed by the entire building. But there would be a very vocal, either minority or a small majority of the crowd, who absolutely would boo him and would cheer for the heel. And in fact, it was only a year after this that Batista did come back and did get booed out of the building. Fans resented him being the chosen one over Daniel Bryan, You know, he was the part-timer taking a spot away from the the guy that they loved and they felt deserved it more. And you didn't really have that here, even though it was kind of the same situation. Punk is champion for 434 days. Rock comes in, part-timer, to take the title away from him. And even worse, to take the title away from him just to get it back onto John Cena. I'm surprised there wasn't a fan rebellion in the building that night, but there wasn't. The Rocky story, well, no pun intended, the Rocky story worked here. Rock made it work. And so the crowd was into it. They just had a big fight feel, you know, when these guys first came out and they did the ring intros. Uh, Yes, there are parts of this match that are slow. And Rock is selling for punk. Rock looks gassed uh, at some parts of the match. Honestly, not as bad as, as the first match with Cena. But that was his first singles match in, what, eight years, I think. So you can almost understand it. Uh, he was—he didn't come off to me anyways being quite as as uh, gassed as he was at a lot of parts in that Cena match. 
But it did pick up as, as things went along. This was the second time, by the way, in a WWE title match at the Royal Rumble where The Rock went for a rock bottom on top of the announce desk and the table gave way and collapsed early. Uh, here, to make up for it, Rock uh, improvised and just gave Punk a rock bottom on the floor. I'm not sure that... Uh, actually, that pro- well, yeah, I, I would say that's probably worse. Anybody who's ever been slammed or fell from a great height onto even like a padded surface like that, especially if you're not ready for it. I mean, these guys can brace themselves. They know what's coming. Uh, I've told that story before, being on the monkey bars at the park, and my father said, you know, drop, I'll catch you, I'll catch you. And I I dropped, and he didn't catch me. And I just landed. I took a flat back bump on the ground. Thankfully, there was padding. It wasn't concrete. But boy, did that knock the wind out of me. You, You can't breathe. It's actually a really scary feeling. Uh, I think he was concerned. All I remember hearing was laughter, but, uh, anyway. So he gave him a rock bottom on the floor and, uh, rock had punk set up for the people's elbow. When the lights went out, the, the building went dark and you could hear there's a commotion. Michael Cole is just screaming. He says, it's the shield. And they give rock a triple power bomb, even though we can't see it through the announce table and they leave lights come back on. There's no shield, but the rock is laid out. Michael Cole is losing his mind over this. Punk comes over. He goes to bring the rock back inside. He hears Cole screaming and he just says to Cole, what? He goes, I have nothing to do with the shield. Wink, wink. Rolls rock back inside. And this, this actually was shocking. Even now to watch this back, it was shocking because first of all, so much time had passed from the time the lights came back on. Rock is laying out there. Punk's in the ring. Punk has to crawl to the outside, lug the rock into the ring, Climb back into the ring. You know, you you could have fit a whole match into the amount of time it took for Punk to go and and pin The Rock. And he pinned him. Rock never kicked out, never got a shoulder up. He pinned him. And I don't think many people were expecting that kind of false finish. Uh, But CM Punk did pin The Rock to retain the championship. Let the record reflect that CM Punk got a visual pin on The Rock. Uh, unfortunately for him, visual is all that it was. Uh, now it's funny. They show, they cut to the crowd. You see some fans very disappointed and they have their hands on their head. They're very upset. Uh, Punk and Heyman are celebrating like they just hit the lottery. All of a sudden, no chance in hell hits and Vince McMahon power walks out. Now JBL is so awful here. He is so annoyingly awful. He will not shut up. He's sticking up for Punk retaining. He's saying the referee didn't see the shield, so it's fair game. And and that's fine for him to point all that out. I guess he's the heel announcer. But he starts to go, he goes, wah, 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 you don't cry over sports entertainment, which is such a cringy line to begin with. He goes, you don't cry over sports entertainment. Before he could even finish the line, Michael Cole just goes, shut up. (laughs) Like in the most disgusted tone that you've ever heard. He just tells JBL, shut up. And he does. Well, I mean, Vince McMahon was about to speak, so he was going to shut up anyway. But what's great about this, not only does JBL finally shut up, right? But as Vince is coming out, before he actually starts speaking, the camera, they cut briefly to a shot of the announcers. They don't know that they're on camera. They clearly don't know that they're on camera because their table and their monitors have been destroyed. 
And you can see what I have to believe was a look of genuine aggravation and disgust on Michael Cole's face. JBL has this almost sheepish look on his face. He's looking at Vince McMahon. He's just been told, this guy just told him to shut up. He's probably very embarrassed. But Cole just has this look on his face. (laughs) It's like, can we just get this over with already so I can get the hell out of here? Oh, it was priceless. And I know the two of them are friends. And I'm look, maybe it was played up. But in that moment, when he did not realize, I don't think, that he was on camera, you take a look at the look on Michael Cole's face. That look says it all. So Vince McMahon says, look, I warned CM Punk that if the Shield got involved, he would be stripped of the championship. And he goes to strip him. But before he could do so, The Rock grabs a microphone and he says, no, 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 no. We're not ending this night like that. He goes, you're not taking the title from him. I am. And he yells that uh, the referee should ring the bell to restart the match. And Vince McMahon says, you heard the man restart the match. And as the match starts, JBL, who just got told off by Michael Cole, you know it's just driving him nuts. He can't help himself. He can't let it go. He tells Cole, if you ever tell me to shut up again, I'm going to put you through a table. And Punk goes and he kicks, he's kicking the rocks ass for a little bit. And he gives him the macho man diving elbow off the top. Goes for the go to sleep. Rock jiggles out of it. Hits a spine buster. People's elbow. One, two, three. Rock wins his eighth WWE title. And just like that, CM Punk's 434 day run is over. And, you know, if you listen closely at the finish when Rock goes for the pin, he makes sure to thank CM Punk uh, for you know before he beats him. Seth Rollins did the same thing with Roman Reigns uh, as he pinned him to win the title of WrestleMania 31. That's when he cashed in money in the bank. You could audibly, as the referee is counting one, two, three, uh, you can audibly hear Rollins telling uh, Roman Reigns, thank you so much. Probably because Roman was not, uh, I'm sure Roman was happy for Seth, but I'm also sure that he uh, he probably wasn't too thrilled that Vince had made the call that, you know what? You're not going to win the championship. We know how Roman's father felt. Remember the story about that? Sika? He was uh, fit to be tied when WrestleMania was over that year that uh, Roman did not win the championship, as I'm sure he was probably either told or or figured that he would. He was not a happy man. So I, I thought the false finish that they did here, it worked. But my one big gripe about this is that after 434 days as champion, CM Punk loses to a fucking people's elbow? <laughs> like, I didn't like it then. I don't like it anymore now. That's my only real gripe with this outside of, of JBL's commentary. Uh, now, I know The Rock beat him with The Rock Bottom the very next month at Elimination Chamber when they had the rematch, so maybe that's why they did it that way. They figure, well, we'll, you, you know, we'll do the people's elbow for the finish at the Rumble... And then I'll beat you with the rock bottom at the Elimination Chamber. Maybe that was the thought process behind that. But for a run like that, a run that long, a run that dominant, to end to a move like the People's Elbow, you know, it it would almost be as bad as losing to the Worm. Or to Santino's Cobra. For a 434-day run as champion to end like that just felt weak to me. But... The crowd popped huge well, when Rock won. Uh, Punk had one last chance. He lost to the Rock at Elimination Chamber, but he had one last chance to earn a spot in the WrestleMania main event. All he had to do was beat John Cena on Monday Night Raw in a number one contenders match. That match is one of the great matches in Raw history. 
that's the famous pile driver match where CM Punk hit a pile driver on John Cena and they got chewed out backstage after the match for doing so. Uh, but unfortunately for him, it was not to be. He lost that match. And, you know, these two years here, 2012, and Punk was champion for all of 2012. There was not a single day on the calendar in the year 2012 that CM Punk did not wake up as WWE champion. And he was only champion for a few weeks, obviously, here at the beginning of 2013. But these two years, especially 2013, this was really Punk's chance. This was his real only chance, realistically, to get into the WrestleMania main event. And The Rock fucked him out of it both times. The Rock fucked him out of it both times. And instead, he ended up wrestling The Undertaker at WrestleMania that year in what I thought was a really good match. Uh, Rock and Cena had their rematch, which was not a really good match. <laughs> it was the opposite of a really good match. Uh, a year later, Punk quit the company, and he has not been back since. And it's a damn shame that we never got a John Cena CM Punk main event at WrestleMania, because I think those two would have torn it up. I think those two had incredible chemistry together. Uh, I think they could have, they could have, and I'm not a huge fan of doing multi-man matches in WrestleMania main events, you guys know this, but... If ever there was a time to insert a third man into that match and make it a triple threat, I think WrestleMania 29 should have been it. Especially now that I look back, I I, I just thought that match sucked. Uh, the first Rock Cena match was good. The second one sucked. I'm sorry. Uh, and I think it would have been uh, a far better match had Punk been part of it. But it wasn't even just from a match quality standpoint. Punk was, he was tied to both of these guys directly for so long uh, I really think that that should have been a triple threat match, but you know they had their vision of what that match was supposed to be. They still could have had John Cena win, you know, but they had their vision of what that match was supposed to be. And for Punk, it was just not meant to be. But I think 2013 would have been the year if, if ever he was going to make it in. Uh, that was going to be it. So next Sunday, I will reveal match number seven in the countdown as we chug along. Now we're getting into the real good stuff. Like, these have been good matches, even very good. We're going to start getting into some real good stuff here uh, starting next week. I think you guys are going to like it. And I hope that you guys are following along, too. Like, if you've never seen these matches before, you have to check these matches out after I you know, talk about them. Uh, and even if you have already seen them, go back and watch them again. That's what I did. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed going back and... Uh, that's why I like doing these best of or, you know, greatest countdown. Some people are like, oh, you need to do the opposite next time. You got to do the worst. And I just think to myself, like, why do you hate me? Seriously, why do you hate me so much? I have to sit through Monday Night Raw, even a clipped version of Monday Night Raw every single week. Is that not bad enough? Have I not suffered enough? You want me, in addition to that, to do a 10-week-long countdown of the worst matches in history? Like, why would I do that? <laughs> like, I look, maybe at some point I'll do a worse something, but yeah, that was not going to happen. I was not subjecting myself to 10 weeks of horrible wrestling uh, when I get enough of that as it is. So, uh, I hope you guys are following along. I'm having a blast doing it, and uh, we'll do number 7 next Sunday. Also, next Sunday is TLC which means that we're going to be doing predictions on the podcast next weekend, so watch for that. Uh, I mentioned it last week, and actually I got a letter from somebody this week, but if you wanted to uh, mail anything to me for any particular reason, I know some people ask about that on occasion, there is a mailbox set up for that purpose, so I'll mention it one more time. Uh, if you did want to snail mail something, the mailing address is, you can send it to my 
full name, at 223 Bedford Avenue, number 1121. It's not a P.O. box, so don't put P.O. box on there. It's just number, the number sign, 1121, and that's in Brooklyn, New York. Zip code is 11211. So that is the mailing address there. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Solomonster, especially. I'll be uh, live tweeting during the TLC pay-per-view next weekend. Uh, A lot of big wrestling coming up. This is a packed weekend. MLW Fusion, live special on BN Sports, Friday night. Don't forget, they also put the episodes up on their YouTube channel. If you do not have BN Sports, you have no excuse. You can still check the show out. I'm going to make the effort to try to do that more often myself. Uh, Evolve has their shows next weekend. Big House of Glory show. I'm going to be there on Saturday. That's the 15th uh, in Queens. And then, of course, TLC next Sunday. Whew. That's it. I'm finished, man. Wow, my my voice is going here. It's funny. I, I, don't, I haven't listened back to my own shows, but I would love to go back and listen to how my voice sounds at the beginning. <laughs> how my voice sounds. Oh, here we go. <clears throat> to how my voice sounds now it's just a natural it's like raw it's a natural decline uh as these th- almost three hours go on in fact it's almost exactly like monday night raw where my my poor voice suffers the, the longer we go on for here thank you all for the support uh i really do appreciate it and especially people who donate and do all sorts of things like that during the holiday season because i'm sure you guys have christmas gifts to buy for your family and or your kids and the fact that people would uh, would take time to contribute in some way to this show means a lot. So thank you for that. I will see you guys back here next week. And please do check out the interview I did with Tony Schiavone, the full half-hour interview. It is up on the YouTube channel. Uh, so if you haven't watched it, it's very insightful. Tony's a good guy. He's a funny guy. Uh, he is one of the all-time greats uh, in the business when it comes to, uh, to commentary. He's called matches for, I mean, God, everybody under the sun from... Rick Flair to Hulk Hogan, Dusty Rhodes, Vader Sting. Uh, I said Hogan, right? Savage, Goldberg, you name it. And now he's doing the same for MLW. So check out my Shivani interview. Be well, stay safe, bring home the bagels. That's what I'm going to go do. I'll see you back here next weekend. Take care, guys. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The Solomonster sounds off. There was one moron who tagged me in a tweet. He says, Smarks like everything from Japan. This guy has a picture of The Rock as his avatar, and he's quoting wrestling catchphrases on his timeline, calling other people Marks and Smarks when you've got another man as your profile picture, and you're quoting Psycho Sid. Sit the fuck down with that nonsense. You don't get to sit at the adult table when you spew nonsense like that. Go stand in the corner and face the wall. Since 2007, The Solomonster Sounds Off. Available at thesolomonster.com, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, and more. Solo Monsters Sound Off.